Welcome to Interchain FM, where we dive into the frontier of the blockchain space. We're now in the third generation of blockchain tech, where a burgeoning multi-chain ecosystem is about to explode into what we call the decentralized web. Where Ethereum is to the mainframe computing era of the internet, Cosmos is to the PC era. If you're seeking alpha in the Cosmos ecosystem, look no further. This is the destination for your exponential learning experience. Interchain FM is where you can get the download on all of the high signal projects building bridges to one another and how you can participate in the future of the internet. This episode of Interchain FM was quite a special treat. Kevin Smith joined me on a live stream where I invited the cast of characters across the Cosmos ecosystem. And we even brought up a guest at the end who was from the audience listening to us live. Kevin talks about bringing movie NFTs to the fore, where the NFT holder gets to own a piece of the movie. He launched this concept as an NFT on Secret Network called Kilroy Was Here in tandem with the launch of his new horror anthology. What Kevin's doing with NFTs can shed light on what sorts of applications outside of collectibles and PFPs that NFTs can be used for in the future. Good seeing everybody. Absolutely delighted to be here. One day away from the historic Kilroy drop, first movie minted as an, as an NFT. Came, started as a dream, kids. Was never the plan. Wasn't like, you know, I've got a vision. We made this little independent film. Kilroy was here with the kids at the Sarasota, in Sarasota, the Ringling College of Art and Design. Did it over the course of a few years in chapters because it's an anthology movie, kind of like Creepshow, like the 80s horror movie I grew up watching. David Shapiro, who's my producer, who put it all together, brought me down there in the first place. He's big in the, in the space, big crypto guy, big NFT kid. So he'd been feeding me these terms like before, you know, now it's commonplace. Everybody and their mother has an uninformed opinion about NFTs or whatever. He was saying words like NFT and crypto years before anybody else in my world. So it sank in over time. And as we were finished with the feature, I had a heart attack while we were making the movie. Then we finished the movie. Then I went off and made another movie, Jay and Silent Bob reboot, and toured it. Then we came back. We were putting together Kilroy for release. And the idea, of course, is like, oh, we'll submit it to some festivals. And then we'll take it the traditional route, try to sell it to somebody or something like that, the way I've always done it. But since David was such a crypto kid, I was like, David, let me ask you something, man. You talk about NFTs, your collection of NFTs, how much you love them, what they could do, what the future looks like. Has anybody ever released a whole film like via NFT? And his eyes lit up. He was like, no. And I was like, is that a thing or is it like, is the technology not there yet? Is that possible? You know better than me. Can the blockchain sustain it? He was like, I absolutely believe so. He was like, would you be willing to do that? Because you made this movie. I was like, yeah, but I made the movie with a bunch of people and stuff like that. We made it low budget. It's not, we, the future is uncertain. If I had made this movie with Lionsgate, Warner Brothers, something like that, and I was like, hey, I want to release this as an NFT, they'd be like, go fuck yourself. But like in a world where I were privately financed and it's mostly Dave's money, it's like, what do you think, man? Like we could actually do something new. As an artist, you savor the moments where you could break new ground. You know, I did it years ago in my career with Clerks, my first film and stuff. And then years after that, like I got online early. We had a website, viewsq.com, like 1995, because I love the idea of being able to in touch with the community, people that bought tickets to my movie and stuff. Uh, I was vlogging and, and also uh, blogging and also 
uh, you know, doing the direct to consumer, as they call it now, uh, on the ViewSkew website for, for years. We would have like private screenings and events. Like, so I've always like been there before, folks. Like podcasting, I started doing that in 2007 when there was only a few people. I was on the internet. When you could literally say like, oh, I did the internet last night and you meant it. Like you literally did everything on the internet. Something you'll never be able to say in this lifetime again. So I've been around like for a while and I've been able to break new grounds in some places. I missed YouTube because I was off making movies and stuff. And I always I kicked myself because that seemed like a fun playground. Some place like a low budget filmmaker like me who just got a lot of dopey ideas. It's not too late. I mean, it's not too late. And I did catch up with it. But when David started talking about Web3, when he started talking about NFTs, I was like, this is a playground. This is a place to take my media. This is one more platform. Like, it, it, and why isn't anybody utilizing it as such? In a world where you can pr- pr- present a graphic image, a presentation, a visual, is an art medium, for heaven's sakes. Like, can an art film make it there as well? So I had somebody who was up for the idea. Um, David Shapiro at Semcor, thank the Lord. And we announced, like, we're going to auction this movie, we're going to take it out, we're going to auction it, because that's what people were doing over a year ago at that point. Um, then, thank God, the good folks at Guy and the good folks at Secret, Legend Dow reached out to us, and they were like, we got a better idea, don't do that. What if you become Martin Shkreli? And, like, you know, you, the Wu-Tang album goes to one person, that's stupid. They were like, we got a better idea, and it's great for Secret, and this is something we've been working on Secret, and Guy had worked, just worked with Quentin, which, you know, was huge in, in my world. I remember when they sold the, the Pulp Fiction NFT and stuff, it was in the news. And I was delighted when Quentin went into the space because that legitimized it more for me in a world where we'd been talking about having Quentin say even the word NFT was like a really positive thing. So, like, at that point, I was like, these guys been in business with him. They were looking for another filmmaker. You know, they were like, all right, let's do this again. And suddenly we wound up with each other and they're like, don't do what you're doing. We got a better idea. And so they're like, we're going to release 5,555 Kilroy NFTs, each with a piece of its own generative art, but has the movie on it. So everybody gets the movie that way. And so, and keep it low price. It's not like, you know, we're going to send it out there and it's going to be an ETH and we'll see what happens. It's going to go up. No, it's very set, easy to afford price if you're into this sort of thing. You know, not everybody, of course, some people be like, you're ridiculous if you think that's easy to afford. But we're only talking like in the hundreds, like 200 bucks or something like that. I forget what the price point is. So, you know, for me, I was like this. Th- nobody's done this yet. You know, instantly I heard a, a cacophony, you know, chorus of people telling me what an idiot I, I, I am and stuff. If I post about it on my social media, a bunch of people are like, how'd you fall for this scam? And you try to politely explain to people like it's not a scam. You're literally buying a movie. Where's the scam? If that's a scam, then. Buying a DVD is a scam. It just happens to be in a medium that maybe you don't know anything about and maybe you read something about, and but you don't know anything about, and that's fine. Like, I'm not expecting the whole world to know about it, but there's a community there already. I've seen them. I've met them. I went to VCon, met them in person. I went to Decentralized, met them in person. And it calls to mind the community that built up, coalesced around my filmmaking when I went to the internet. When we opened up viewskew.com, I was able to talk to the people who were buying tickets to my stuff. And we built this like weird community, man. They helped shape the direction of my art. 
I did movies based on what they liked and stuff like that. So I was always geared for this sort of thing. I don't have the world, man. It's like I don't make Marvel movies or Star Wars movies, so I don't get everybody. I only get people who are into, like, Kevin Smith movies. And so those cats, like, formed this community that I've has supported me for, for years and years. When I jumped into this space, I recognized that same sort of community. It's not the same people. It's different people, younger people. But – it's a the same thing. A bunch of people who are like, I get what you're trying for because I'm trying for the same thing. Artists supporting artists, fans, not even just people who are like, I want to make something. People who just appreciate art as well. So the space called to me in a big, bad way. And, and I've had no regrets about being here in, in terms of like the outside world. I've been called a number of names and people tell me I'm stupid for doing this. And, oh, you're a scam artist, too. And, and like. I, here, the long and short of it is I've been doing this for nearly 30 years at this point. Not a single day of my life has gone by since I, clerks went out into the world where some stranger has not told me on the internet that I'm stupid and bad at my job. And if I listened to them, I'd never do anything. You know, if, if they were around when I was trying to make clerks, I probably wouldn't have done it in the first place because I would have been scared. You need a community, a bunch of voices that understand, voices that support, man. You don't even need them all. Small chorus will get you there. Small chorus will help you sing your song. So I love this space, man. And bringing Kilroy into the space not only does it allow us some cool bragging rights about, like, we get to do some. Oh, there he is. We get to do something that, like, nobody else has done yet. And trust me, when this happens, if they make a buck, like if Secret makes a dime off of this, every studio is coming. I've told people in interviews before moment we started talking about this, like a year ago, I started hearing from my friends, people I hadn't heard from in years, who work in the studio system, who are like, this is smart. This is the first smart thing you've done in a decade. We're watching. And they're watching because if we could make a nickel off this, you're going to be buying Terminator 2 for a, a fucking 12th time as an NFT, ladies and gentlemen, because every studio will just bring their home libraries here. And that's good if you're into collecting and watching movies in this medium. But what it means is it's a platform for the independent filmmaker. If I was making Clerks today, I would not be trying to make it and sell it to a movie uh, distributor. How? There's so much content. We're drowning in content at this point. I'm completely priced out of that world. Most Sundance movies are like have movie stars in them and massive budgets. Where does the no budget, low budget, first time filmmaker go? This is where I would be at this point in time. So with a movie like Kilroy, it was a no-brainer to be like, let's go into the space. I couldn't do it with Clark's 3. Like Lionsgate would be like, you're out of your mind. But with Kilroy, we could actually do it. We'd try the experiment. See what happens. Be first. The only thing you had to be willing to do is take a few kicks in the face, you know, and a few bullets as you come through the door. First one through the door, you don't get the glory. You get all the bullets first and stuff. But it don't mean you don't go through the door. Years ago, uh, before there was a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo, um, we were building a website, me and John Gordon, producer friend of mine, uh, trying to make this movie called Red, Red State. So we built a website called Red State Green, paid 20 grand to have the website built. And it was basically a donation engine site before Kickstarter existed. And my thought was, I got a million followers on MySpace. If every one of them give us a buck, we could totally make this movie I've been talking about making for years. So I was really into this idea. Didn't have no name for it. Later on, we would call it crowdsource financing and stuff. So I'm about to do this thing. We're about to turn on the, the trigger. And I do an interview up in Canada. I'm up there promoting the Walter Gretzky Street Hockey Tournament. 
So during like a little round table, somebody said, what movie are you working on next? And I was like, oh, I'm going to make this movie Red State I've been talking about for years, but we're going to do it with the audience's help. We're going to use the audience to raise the money and whatever they put out, we're going to match and that's going to be the budget. And two days later, somebody wrote an article that said, ew, Kevin Smith is going to beg for money for his next movie. And I got scared. Like I got so pissed scared, lost all my nerve, lost all my vision. The guy who made Clerks went out the door. Because I wasn't the guy who made clerks anymore. I was the guy who had already made clerks and I had a career that I was worried about protecting. When I was making clerks, I had no fucking career. So you don't give a shit. You'll do whatever and stuff. But here I was already in the midst of my career and suddenly they were besmirching me with this article going like he's begging for money. I got scared. I dropped the whole thing. One year later or less, Kickstarter gets invented. A year after that, I think it's Zach Braff is the first filmmaker to crowdsource finance a movie. You know, Little shit like that will bug me to the end of time because I could have been first if I didn't chicken out. I only chickened out because somebody from the sidelines who had no skin in the game was going like, you're stupid. I was like, you're right. I'm stupid. I better not do this. Kids never do that. There are so many people in this world to tell you you're stupid and whatnot. Listen to them. Absorb it. Let it go. And those, I, I got news for you. They'll still be saying it when you accomplish what you want to accomplish. The world is a crab pot, man. It's a crab bucket. And if you rise up, you manage to crawl up, there are a thousand legs to drag you back down because misery loves company. And nobody wants to see somebody excel because it's a reminder that they could have done the same fucking thing in the same amount of time. But they didn't choose to do that because it was too busy just grabbing you down. I've always believed, like, if you want to do something in this life, you surround yourself with, with the right kind of people. You can't surround yourself with with why people if you tell the world you're gonna do something like hey i want to do something i'm not known to do i'll step outside my box you will get slapped across the face of the big floppy dick of why whole world be like why why do you think you could do that why do you think you're so special why you and why not me why are you acting like this it's all why you surround yourself with why not people so you're like i want to try this thing i've never tried it but i see other human beings do it so why not me and then you hear all right, why not? That sounds good. Why not? I wasn't doing anything anyway. Why not? I was just going to jerk off. That sounds way more interesting. Surround yourself with why not people. You could actually get stuff done because it's a why world, kids, where people just want to point and say no. Like the Internet is an amazing place. Uh, I've been there for the advent of it, as I said, and I've watched it uh, grow and, and become almost sentient. And be, before I leave this world, let's be honest, it's probably going to be self-aware or something. But in the time of the advent of the Internet, it's been pretty divisive. It's been used by a tool to divide people so people can make money. In this community, I don't see that. Like outside the community, you hear a lot of people going, NFTs is a scam, blah, blah, blah. That's being divisive. These people aren't, aren't even playing, have nothing to do with this, shouting from the sidelines. Within, it's not divisive. Within, it's a community. It's people who support each other. It's artists who understand, would-be artists, artists themselves, or people who just appreciate the arts. Same people when you walk into a fucking fine arts museum, standing around looking at shit. Same fucking point here, man. People like what they like, what speaks to them. And sometimes someone like me goes, oh, I'm going to make a dopey-ass horror movie like I grew up on in the 80s. There's a lot of people, not the whole fucking world, but a handful of people who are like, I want to see that sort of thing. And so with Web3, we get the potential to actually, like, as a collective, have people be like, I want to see that sort of thing and support it. Not in the same model as, like, you know, as, as a Kickstarter or something, where it's like, hey, pre-buy this thing. In a different kind of model. We could support each other with games in this community, for heaven's sakes. Um, tokens and so forth and so on. I'm doing this thing 
with DCP, with Decentralized Pictures in Roman Coppola. We have the Smod Castle Film Festival happening in August uh, in New Jersey at my podcast theater, Smod Castle. And DCP just teamed up with us to sponsor the festival. Prizes for the people that win in our festival were given away goods and services, money, but also goods and services, tokens that are redeemable for like actual web services, man, as you're making your first time film. So like outside that doesn't, you know, people maybe who don't understand the blockchain, you know, just go like, well, it's dollars and cents and it's a scam. It's it's not, it's like, I, I don't have the time to teach everybody everything. And you know what? Frankly, I'm not inclined. Like when people are like, I don't, I don't get it. It's a scam and it's stupid. I don't look at that as a down. I'm like, great, stay the fuck away. It's less crowded here. Like it's crowded everywhere else. You know how hard it is for me to get a fucking movie made? Because there's a zillion people trying to get shit made. You know how hard it is for me to like find space, a tiny little space at Netflix? There's a zillion people fucking doing that. But in a world where people are like Web3, NFTs, this is fucking stupid. Great. Stay over there. I'll see those people in five fucking years. It's that simple. And I know this because I've been around long enough. There's the same voice as the cacophony of naysayers that like when the internet happened, we're like, oh, we're all going to get rich. And when they couldn't figure out like how to make a dime off the internet or get easy rich quick, they all fucked off and shit. And those of us who were left behind were like, okay, now let's get down to business. Let's have fun with this fucking thing. Let's see what it can be. It's a fucking playground right now. And the fact that people don't want to be at this playground, that don't put me off. You know, they'll get here. I'm not worried about that. It's a technology, an emerging technology that sooner or later, they're not going to be able to live without. There's a bunch of people who spend their days on fucking TikTok, never knew they were going to need that. There's a bunch of people that spend their days on Netflix who had no idea that that's where watching porn clips in the late 90s online was eventually going to lead. So the future is always just kind of right beyond the horizon and whatnot. In this case, the future is here. It's not even me going like, this has an unproven technology. We're just doing something nobody's done yet. But trust me, they're going to be doing a lot going forward. And I'm happy to be trying something new at my late stage in the game at age 51. Quentin Tarantino, very fond of saying, and I, you know, first I didn't agree with him as a young person, but the older I get, I think he's right. He always says uh, filmmaking is young man's game or to colloquialize it, a young person's game. Um, he thinks art belongs, particularly that particular art form belongs to the youth because they have the freshest voice, the freshest take, a new vision. And in the beginning, I would struggle against that because I want to do this job for the rest of my life. But he's absolutely right. Youth rules. That's where a lot of great new fresh ideas come from. I'm fucking hitching my wagon to youth in this instance, man. Everybody in Web3, way fucking younger than me, way better ideas than me. I'm not going to dismiss that and be like, oh, scam. It's not a fucking scam, man. Education is where you look for it. And this is where I'm getting educated. This is where I stay vital, not necessarily relevant, but a way to stay fucking young, a way to stay the same artist I was when I began this game so that I don't make stupid decisions like throwing away red state green because I'm scared. You should be scared, man. There should always be a little fucking fear at the the root of everything, man. What if this don't work? Yes, but what if it does? If you're going to write a fucking fiction, you're going to make shit up. And that's all we do when we plan for failure. When we sit there going like, yeah, what if that ain't going to work and shit? That's just you being creative. That's writing. That's literally creative writing. My suggestion to you, instead of writing stupid ass story where you don't succeed and shit, because we know that story, we live that story in the real world. Write yourself a fucking story where it works. 
Because that's the fucking beautiful story, man. And that's the story you need to be prepared for in case it does work. Nothing ever happens if you shit on every idea. If you're like, oh, it probably wouldn't work. That's meant for somebody better than me. If it was a good idea, somebody else would have done it. Bullshit. It's a good idea. You have it. Try it. Put it into motion. I'm not talking about if your idea is, I want to hunt human beings. No, don't fucking hurt people, obviously. That starts, that goes without saying. I'm talking about being creative. I'm talking about putting something into the world. Don't be destructive. There's two paths in this world, right? There's creation and there's fucking destruction. And the fucking destruction path is crowded because there's so many people who just want to snipe. It's easy to tear shit down. It's crab pot out there. Creation lanes, wide open, kids. Wide fucking open, man, because it takes a little bit to put yourself out there and share of yourself. So this is me sharing, obviously oversharing. I turn the floor over to others to speak. I, I, Kevin, I just want to say, you got me fired up, man. I want to run through a wall now. I'm like, yeah, let's go build stuff. Let's do it, man. And, and, and it's not just a stoner talking. Yes, kids, I am a stoner. So everything seems possible. But it is true. I can only say these things to you with truth and honesty. And hopefully you understand that I say them to you as the stupid fucking idiot who made clerks. I was I was a dumbass kid, man. And I'm still a dumbass kid. Making clerks has allowed me to remain a dumbass kid, even at age 51. But I didn't know anything. I had no experience. I had no means. I had no connections whatsoever, man. Come from a lower, 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 lower middle class family. So I didn't even come from fucking money. And I took a chance and it fucking worked. So when I say to you that these things are possible, and when we talk about running through a fucking wall facetiously, uh, obviously, but uh, it's true. Like people do this shit. You know what I'm saying? People do the things you love. And it's not just like, well, they're lucky. They're, maybe maybe luck plays a part. But the first portion is them taking a step toward it. Art won't take a step toward you. You got to take a step toward it. But I promise you, if you do, what a fulfilling life it is. Because there's nothing like self-expression, obviously, as you can tell. Like you said, Kevin, there's a huge ecosystem of just, you know, very young, very brilliant builders, um, each of which you're going to meet today. Um, I've brought on some of the most prolific people building in Web3 uh, in the Cosmos ecosystem. So far, you, you've just met some of the secret people um, and myself, but I want you to meet the people that we're bringing on stage. They're extremely excited. You know, we just want to talk more about this whole idea that you have of proving this concept of doing like an initial movie offering, right? That the world is your oyster. You could you could just experiment in this um, blockchain world, and everyone that we're bringing on is kind of you know a visionary like yourself in in this regard. So yeah, they've all prepared topics and questions that they want to ask you. So yeah, Lex is building a metaverse game. Uh, it's called Strange Clan, and it's super, super fucking cool. Adriana is working on you know, marketing and Cosmos, which is, you know, just like the broader ecosystem that you've been brought into. Um, mm -hmm. Connor co-hosting with me uh, for this particular episode. And Sunny is building the Osmosis decks. It's one of the highest TVL DEXs, most liquid DEXs in the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, so everybody That's who's watching the stream. Locked. Yeah. Sorry, no, literally my next sorry. no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I got you, bro. Thank yeah, you. Just, you saw you saw it in my eyes. You're like, look, he knows <laughs> NFT. We got to give him the other initials. Yep, yep. And yeah, the the DeFi side of things. Um, it's it's just one of the most promising finance. decentralized exchanges in in the space. So, um, yeah. What do you guys want to ask Kevin? Yeah, I mean, uh, shoot. So what gets me really excited? Um, you know, Chenko mentioned the game that we're building, but really for us, it's about the ecosystem. Like 
you busted through the wall in terms of uh, as, as a content creator, somebody who's m- making things that people experience. We don't have a lot of that here, right? There's like a huge gap in um, across the crypto space of substantive material, right? We have a lot of like ideas and potential and like incredible builders and technology. And we need more of this. We need more content creators. And I love the path you're painting in terms of like, you know, uh, people being able to get into this space, be able to get something made by connecting with a dedicated audience, right? Mm. This is the means, this is the vehicle to do that. You talked about being the first one in the door with what you're doing with with Kilroy and using this mechanism of NFTs to share ownership in a way that lets you bootstrap a project. This is, this is like, this is my dream. My dream uh, as somebody wanting to build a platform for content mm. creators to bring content into whether you call it the metaverse or virtual experiences or these kind of 3D worlds, I, I want to create the mechanisms by which the next 100 people come in that door after you, right? Like, how do we hold the door open, right? What is yes. what? Is, I mean, education obviously is going to be a big one, right? But if this if this all pans out, I mean, it's, it feels like in a big way, Kilroy's been a success just in terms of everything that's led up to this point, right? I know, but you know, Lord willing, this this pans out. And, and it ends up being a success. Like, how do we hold the door open? Like, what are you looking toward after this in terms of bringing in the next 100 young, excited, hungry content creators who have an audience, who don't have an audience? Like, what are the things those people need to follow you in the door? It's a great question. The, what we're doing with Kilroy, what we've talked about doing and what we plan to do is um, since each movie comes with its own piece of generative art, which is your very specific Kilroy that you own and stuff. I was like, I talked to the secret folks. I was like, can we give them ownership of the characters so they can own it and do whatever they want? And they were like, well, it's your movie. You decide. And I was like, well, I didn't create Kilroy. He came from like, you know, fucking the World War One and World War Two. He was the original meme, like, you know, the piece of graffiti of the guy hanging over the fence with the long nose. So owning Kilroy was a weird concept in and of itself to me. I was like, I don't, I can't say that I own my own this incarnation, I guess. But sharing this incarnation means that whoever buys the NFT has their Kilroy, watches the movie, sees how simplistic the fucking formula is to tell a story. You know, it's basically a morality tale, just like the Twilight Zone, Tales from the Dark Side, something like that. What we're encouraging and what we're driving toward is that you know, we know it's not going to be everybody. Not everybody who buys one of the Kilroy NFTs is going to want to make a thing. But there's a good portion of them that are filmmakers like me or would-be filmmakers like me who are going to be like, okay, I if this is mine, then I could do something with it. And we're telling them, yeah, make your own Kilroy short, make your own Kilroy cartoon, and you are going to make up the body of Kilroy is Back, the inevitable sequel that we're going to make. I will create the framing device. Once we get four or five of those put together, I'll create a framing device. Then suddenly our sequel is, it goes from like an audience full of art consumers to a team full of art collaborators. They go from buying art to making art. Again, not everybody, some of them. Some people will just want to appreciate it and stuff. That I feel like opens up the door for more people because it keeps people in and also potentially brings, this is my dream. Some young indie film kid hears that. And in a world where you're trying to figure out how to get exposure, how to get fucking noticed when you were drowning in content, this is a perfect way to get noticed, man. You make a kill worry short, you put it in my film, our film that we become directors on and stuff like that. You're standing shoulder to shoulder, somebody who always does something to get attention for whatever he's working on. Number one, 
But number two, you have the opportunity to show the world, like, look at what a better storyteller I am than Kevin Smith, which I assure you is not very difficult. So by making it like, hey, come on in, uh, pick up Kilroy, join the community, and then taking it to like, okay, join me as a filmmaker, join me as a collaborator. You know, it feels like that's the sort of thing that will get around. I don't think it's going to change everything overnight. But once people see like they did it right now, it's theoretical. Right now we keep talking about this is what we hope is going to happen. But the moment there is a Kilroy sequel that is largely produced by the audience that bought it, I got to imagine that makes people curious. That's going to be a story worth telling. And then aside from just good, you know, uh, publicity or people hearing about it and like, oh, shit, I got to check this out or whatever. You're just going to like launch a thousand ships. Like when, when, when I made Clerks, it was nothing I thought about. But it's something that as I got older, I really appreciated. Clerks was the movie that launched like a thousand ships because you look at it and you're like, I could do that. I was sitting around talking to my friends. I can make a movie. And I believe that. I believe everybody can fucking make a movie. I don't think there are people who are, you know, only some people should be filmmakers. I think everybody is a storyteller. Everybody is a content generator because we all live these amazing, unique lives that don't look like anybody else's and yet share common facets that allow us to kind of tell stories where you're like, I recognize that. But that's new to me. I look at people, man. I don't look at people and just see like, oh, that's a member of the audience. I see potential competition. I see somebody going like, if that motherfucker got up and started talking, I'd be out of this business. Because they've heard my fucking stories. They haven't heard yours. I know a lot of people like sit around and bitch about like my business, the movie business. Like all they do is make sequels and remakes. That Yeah, that's because they're waiting for you. They're waiting for the person who's going to walk through the door and be like, here's the new Matrix. And it's not even the new Matrix. It's just something so fucking new. There ain't no name for it and shit. I just chose the Matrix as one of the last new things that came through the fucking door. New ain't going to come from me. You know, I'm, I got Clerks 3 coming out. Uh, you know, the trailer drops on Wednesday. New is going to come from the person in the audience right now who's listening or the person who's not listening, who's working, dedicated on their craft, who has an idea that nobody has heard before. Letting those voices, like, have a platform sharing the platform with those voices is good for me as an old ass storyteller. The older I get, the less relevant I am and stuff. So I got enough shine or enough juice for an emerging filmmaker to want to sit next to me on their way, fucking up and shit on my, as I'm on my way down. So it's good for me to be around up and coming filmmakers. And the idea of the audience producing 90% of what the sequel would be means that there's a, and if we could keep doing that for heaven's sakes which is my dream i'd like i'd like 10 of these largely produced by the audience you know got to be a jim cameron or Catherine bigelow in that group you know what i'm saying like you know roger corman used to have people make cheap movies all the time and some of those filmmakers grew up to be like ron howard and shit like that be nice to be around young filmmakers who are full of fucking passion and like i film is my career right Film for the would-be filmmaker, the first-time filmmaker, the neophyte filmmaker, that's a passion. That's where you're going to get the best work. So it behooves me to be around that if I want to continue trying to self-express in this world, man. I can pick up tips. I can learn new things and whatnot. I already feel, like, outdated when I look at TikTok. So this might be my way to keep up. I love that. And I love that that snowballs, right? Because, like, if you get those 10 creators who make those, you know, Kilroys in, in the next round – then there's a body of content out there that then can be not just make derivative works, but there's there's more to go around, right? And that that pool of like open content of um, like collective storytelling power begins to grow. And there's more and more people who can come in there when you have this community-based creating. So 
And when you got all those voices, you're going to get more stories. Like, look, before I made shit for a living, I was a member of the audience. And one day I will return to the audience and I'm still a member of the audience. And I can look at shit like Obi-Wan Kenobi and not go like, oh, I want to do that. Or I would have done better shit like that. I just look at it and be like, wow, somebody made that. That's fucking dope. So I still know how to be an audience member and stuff. And what thrills me is new voices all the time. You know, I came from the world of indie film and that was where new voices came from in my era. So being around people with fresh ideas, people who are like building metaverses, storytelling in ways that I'm, I'm thinking traditional three act structure, because that's the world I came from. You're telling a story by building an entire fucking world and letting the people in the story tell the story. That's storytelling fucking 3.0. That's the future. Being around that, being able to rub elbows with that, that's going to fucking rub off and that's going to be good for me as well. So, yeah, so we're I, getting I'm Kevin sure. Passage, right? That's that's the deal. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just give me a little taste. Let my wet, let me wet my beak a little in your metaverse. Put a Jay and Silent Bob <laughs> something in there for heaven's sake. <laughs> we'll do it. We'll do it. <laughs> okay. So we've got a couple other uh, cosmonauts trying to jump on the stream as well. Um, Lex, if it's all right, we're going to pop you off. You got your question. It's been answered. a pleasure, brother. Lex, go get him. All right, Sonny, Adriana, you guys are next. We've got a ton of people backstage trying to talk to Kevin right now. So, um, yeah, hey Kevin, uh, I guess we're doing well. Um, I guess one question would be like, you know, you know, the whole medium is the message. How do you think this new medium is going to change the format? You know, like every single form of new media has like changed the format that it's presented in, you know, YouTube, you suddenly had to start making content that was less than 10 minutes long. TikTok, everything's now invert. Like I've noticed like the entire world, everything is like vertical video now instead of horizontal. Um, What are some of the interesting ways you think this medium is going to change the format? What a great fucking question. Let's think, because I'm not visionary enough, uh, obviously. Here's something I've always dreamed about. And, you know, I get made fun of for this. Uh, and, and people say, you're fucking wrong. You're all, you should be trying to expand your audience. But I feel like as a storyteller, you know, sometimes I tell stories that, hey, this could work for everybody. But sometimes you tell stories that are like, this is going to work for like nine fucking people. And it's tough to get something that's going to work for a very small group made in the traditional system, right? They want things that appeal to the widest possible audience that's why i gravitated toward indie film in the first place you know size didn't matter there and for a small guy like me that's a good thing to hear at all times in all walks of life and shit so in this medium in the community i get a chance to like tell stories this is gonna sound fucking stupid but bear with me for like 100 people and as a storyteller that's a relief Because sometimes I want to tell a small personal story and then you put it out there and fucking a bunch of people shit on it because they're like, I don't agree with that. I don't get that. That's fucking dumb. The cacophony of fucking voices telling you you fucked up when, when you get bad reviews and shit like that. I've always dreamed like, you know, maybe it's just for the people who literally wanted to see the thing, not for the person who had to go see the thing and write about it for their fucking job or the person who was forced to go see it. What if I could just make the thing for the hundred fucking people that would enjoy it? So the same way that like, you know, uh, TikTok has kind of changed it from a horizontal to a vertical landscape and whatnot. And YouTube has had us do everything from shrink our content to enlarge it as well. I remember for years it was all about like it should be short. 
And, you know, now, well, now, because it changes all the time, but about 10 years ago, they were like, make it as long as you want. The longer they sit on the platform, the better. The algorithm changes all the time. So we've seen like the effect, as you said, that the medium has had um, on what's gone before. In my case, I can only speak for me. I can't speak for everybody. In my case, I look forward to a world where I don't have to try to entertain everybody. Now, people hate my shit will be like, you've never tried to entertain anybody. I get it. I hear you. But in this world where it's just like, it's going to make it for people who have been through this exact fucking thing that I've been through. And I'm going to know those people because I'm going to know them within a community already. Within the community, there are always communities that are created. You know, people are drawn to a thing. And then within that community, subdivide into groups that also like a particular thing. So I feel like in my case, and I I hope this kind of answers it, I may be able to get to that world where I can make something just for the people who are going to love it, which would give me like, you know, it's, it's trying to stack the deck and tilt the table in my favor and stuff, but there ain't no rules. Nobody said you can't do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, why do I have to make a thing where a bunch of people are like, I fucking hate everything you do. I'm going to have to hear that again. I mean, just make it for the people who are like, I fucking love what you do. And this particular thing that you're doing is totally my jam. We have that ability in this space. It feels like you could go very macro. Like I said, I think studios will come and start selling you all your favorite titles all over again via NFT. But I think it also has the ability to go micro where you can like ask the people who to you in that project matter. The only voices that will matter, the potential audience, not everyone else, not everyone who has no skin in the game, not everyone who has an opinion just to weigh in and stuff but the people you know are going to appreciate that thing. So that's that's my dream. That'd be my hope. Does that make sense or is that too personal, too selfish? That's really cool. I mean, it's taking, you know, the, the scarcity and like taking advantage of that as part of like, you know, building. A way to, a way to preserve my feelings as an yeah. artist. That's what it's using scarcity as a shield, really. <laughs> Well, and micro communities, right? Like enabling micro communities that are very niche uh, through technology that that actually have like essentially we mentioned the shareholders or access passes where it's like, okay, great, you're one of the people who holds this NFT, you have this voice, um, and it's a great way to actually verify that. True, so damn true. Okay, so thank you, Sunny, for asking your question. Let's get Adriana, and then we got Tegan as well. Yeah, I want you to meet Tegan. Oh my goodness, she's 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 building something really cool. It's called The Graph, and they've entered the Cosmos ecosystem and are doing um, cool stuff that we won't get into the details of. What do you do on The Graph? Yeah, it organizes data in a decentralized way. So similar to how Google organizes data so you can search it, that's what The Graph does in the blockchain space. So you can put like cool NFTs and like art marketplaces on top of The Graph. So the dumb version is like we're building Google for the blockchain. Uh, not dumb, but yes. So uh, that's the, how the dumb guy says it on this side. Wow, that's fucking dope, man. Look at you. You know, it's people like you who allow people like me who are like, I want to make a thing to make a thing. You yeah. got to have somewhere to put that fucking thing. Empowering so, creators and artists. Yeah, artists, yeah. I, I'm just going to introduce MC Liquid. He's Kevin, do you remember when we were doing our vlog that MC mc liquid was there showing you a ar fox filter yeah fine. Well, now the they've made yeah he did the, now they've the made fox kilroy that you did it man and i didn't even send you the assets like an asshole well, <laughs> that's he, all right mate like, send me the assets and i was like i gotta track down the assets look at you were able to pull it off that's tremendous that's that kilroy face you know again uh, if, probably everyone here way too young to remember but 
uh, in World War One and Two, which I wasn't even there for, I promise you. Um, they had this figure, this guy, like he'd have his fingers hanging over the edge of the frame and then just his nose would hang down like that and would say Kilroy was here. So when we repurposed that and made him the monster in our movie, I reached out to Robert Kurtzman to design the face. Robert Kurtzman is the guy who designed Tusk. He used to be with the KNB effects group. He does special effects in movies. To let you know how far he goes back and what a legend he is, uh, Kurtzman is the guy who made Marky Mark's dick in Boogie Nights. That's huge, literally huge and huge within movies. So I reached out to him and I was like, I need you to make me a Kilroy. Like basically, you know, he's got to be our bad guy, but like, you know, he should be defined by a long nose. That is what the character has traditionally been defined by. And so he created a version of Kilroy that you kind of see here, but its nose was like way shorter and stuff. And so I was like, Bob, the nose has to you know, like go down. It always goes down over the wall in the drawings and stuff. And he's like, the longer I make it, the more dick-like it looks. I was like, you're talking to the right filmmaker, man. Go for it. So I apologize for the very, the, the very uh, phallic nose on our character. Um, it looks goofy, but in the movie, it totally plays. You know, I wanted to do a deep dive on sort of where, where this is going, because I think it goes so many directions. I'm very very bullish on nfts i think we haven't even touched the scope of what nfts are going to be and i think you're helping pave the the groundwork of what that is if anything nfts will be in orders of magnitude larger than anything in crypto now i think as a whole asset class so i think now as we're defining what that is and to 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 borrow from the shoulders of uh or to standing on the shoulders of giants is an og his name is uh Punk 6529, he's, he's well-known in the space. And he likens NFTs, or at least the technology of NFTs, to mimetic rails, right? So right now, essentially, we're putting a me on rails, specifically with the Kilroy project. And I think whatever assets we bring in to the project, whether it's AR, whether it's you know traditional film, or however we're going to dis- uh, distribute that, NFTs then become the uh, distribution technology, which everybody has at ground zero. So my question coming back to you is, is given your audience what it was, you know, back in the day and you built it on clerks. And then I remember you were counting a story on the, uh, the Bobby 100s interview with, um, you know, your mall rats, which was a sort of a follow-up. And I remember you were recounting a story of how you had this sort of uh, spooge scene that was similar to the the uh the something about mary thing that was prior to about mary and the producer talked you out of it hey no we want to hit the widest uh audience possible and you look back on that you realize look it's i'm not trying to hit the widest audience i'm trying to hit my audience a niche audience my target audience and i was thinking about that i was looking at the thread yesterday as we were promoting this chat today and i i was surprised to find that a lot of your traditional audience, your, your hardcore fan base, weren't on board with with this sort of new venture. And I thought, is it time to redefine the audience? And if it is, how would you go about doing that? Uh, what a great question. I, the audience uh, for me over the years since I started has evolved incredibly. And there are a bunch of them. There's never just one audience. So there's an audience that goes to see the movies and don't interact with me in any other way, shape, or form. Have no idea that I do podcasts. Have no idea that I go stand on stage. You know, all that stuff that's not the movies, 
they're not engaged with. I have people who just listen to me on podcasts who don't ever watch the movies I make. Never seen one of them, but listen to me every week regardless. I have people uh, who go see the live shows who have seen the movies and do listen to the podcasts. So they're like two of those audiences combined with a third, meaning we'll go see them in the real world. So I've always been used to juggling different audiences. It's never just one. And if I had to rely on the film audience, I would have been out of business a long time ago. Film audience, uh, when you're a filmmaker, is predicated on putting a new movie out, having that movie promoted with a lot of money and stuff like that. Uh, I knew that wasn't always going to be the case. After my second movie, Mallrats, which people love now, it died when it came out. Right then and there, my career was in the toilet. So the studio wasn't going to be providing me with an audience anymore. I was a cautionary tale at that point. What I did was go to the Internet because I was already there anyway, looking for the people who bought tickets and stuff with viewskewed.com. We had a website like in late 95 and I had a message board where I would hang out and talk to the people and stuff because I wanted to find out who the fuck buys a ticket to see clerks. They could have saw anything else. Why would you fucking buy a ticket to see clerks and Mallrats? So I would hang out and get to know the people and stuff. And that's like, you know, now they say like, or I've said for years, I've, I don't have a boss. I've, you know, I work for myself, but really, technically, I work for the audience. If you work for the audience, you never work a day in your life. Those folks that, like, I kind of grew up with um, as as a what they now call direct to consumer. Uh, I just called like, oh, I just it was my audience. Uh, they're varied, and they don't go every place that I go. For example. I love comic books. There's a bunch of them. Don't give a fuck about comic books. And I made a whole ass TV show about it called comic book men. And some of them still didn't engage with the TV show, even though they would listen to the podcast. or they knew the movies. They're like, I don't care about that. So I've always been able to spin as many different audiences as possible. And I'll say, you know, no to no audience, except an audience full of hate who wants to leave people out and shit like that. But like, if there's an audience over here, who's like, look, we don't go to your shows. I don't know your podcasts and I knew a few of your movies, but I love what you're doing in web three. That's a brand new audience for me. I'm going to cultivate that. I'm not going to get rid of the old audience. They'll all coexist. The dream is when you could bring them all together, when they could coalesce. And I've been able to do that at times in my career where you could bring all of them together in one platform or something. We did it recently or a few years ago with the Jay and Silent Bob reboot roadshow tour, where suddenly it was a movie, but it, you know, it was a tour and I was there doing a show. And so I advertised over our podcast, the entire audience base brought to bear into like one room and stuff. But generally speaking, you don't get that lucky unless you're like, you know, making Marvel movies or star Wars or, or Harry Potter to have an audience that's that mass and is all in constant agreement. So I'm used to, an audience not following me some places as a hockey enthusiast. I got a lot of people who are like, what are you fucking nuts? That's a sport. I don't do that. So, you know, I'm used to some people not taking the journey with me. Honestly, on my social media feed, what you see less than hardcore fans are just fly by night. People see the word NFT and jump into a conversation and be like, this is fucking stupid. You're stupid. And this is a scam. It's not necessarily my audience, people who know who I am, which I'm grateful for, but not the people who have traditionally supported me. That being said, everyone who has traditionally supported me hasn't always supported me in everything I've done. Unfortunately, or good for me, but bad for people who follow me, I spin a lot of plates. 
So, like, if you like David Fincher, you get to watch David Fincher movies and maybe a show when he does it and stuff. But that's it. David Fincher ain't on a stage. He's not at a Comic-Con going, hey, fucking buy my action figure and shit like that. I engage with the audience in so many on so many different platforms that the audience constantly subdivides and subdivides. So having people go like, we're not following you to NFT doesn't concern me. I know there's a community there waiting already. Those are the people I'm going to talk to. Some will come with me as they follow me to everything. Some will make the trip, particularly because this is an easy trip to make. When we dropped the Smoke and Tokens, which was our first NFT release like last year, Jay and Silent Bob Crypto Studios, you know, some people were like, I don't get it. And it's like, well, it's like a digital trading card. Some people got it. They can make the trip. Some people didn't. They didn't buy it. This is easier for a fan to get their head around because it's like, oh, I get to see the movie. Like, so it's not just like something that spins in a box that I can't hold. It's an actual film. Okay, I'll take that trip. But everyone won't. But I'm accustomed to that. Like, and if I waited for everybody, I'd have been out of this business a long, long time ago. You got to take the audience where they show up, man. Any place they're willing to gather, there I will be. And, and to your point earlier, Kevin, about niche audiences and this enabling that, I think that's that's spot on. Um, Tegan and MC, really appreciating your, your comments here. Um, Adriana, I want to make sure to get you in. Love to know what you want to ask Kevin or uh, you know comment on. Yeah, for sure. So as I see it, it is indeed a real interesting development of the entire movie NFT industry. And I want to hear like Kevin's thoughts on where he sees this going next. Like for sure, movie on NFT, right? It's uh, indeed something like, uh, like you have mentioned before, like a movie offerings, something to interact with your community, something to have your community have a say in it. But what about things like, I don't know, maybe like fan tokens or something? Is this something that you believe could come next as a way to interact with your community, as a way to uh, pave the road forward towards uh, what this industry can do? Somebody asked me, like, where do you see it going? And I was like, well, I think in my case, like, I love to put a story on many fronts. I, you know, I, I mentioned Fincher all the time because he's one of my favorite filmmakers. And unlike me, he makes a thing, puts it out there and just steps back. Don't say shit. Just let you appreciate it and draw your conclusions. I'm the other filmmaker who like, you know, long before that fucking thing comes out, I'm talking about it. You know, sometimes I'm talking about a decade in advance, like willing it to happen. Because some of the things I do, it's not always somebody willing to put up money for them and stuff. Don't mean they shouldn't be done. Just means it's going to take longer time to get there. So if, you know, I've always believed if you're really good at the job, you know, in my case, in the job, in this specific instance, cinematic storytelling, uh, if you're really good at the job, you can keep them entertained for 90 minutes to two hours. The story begins and then, you know, uh, when they're there in, in, in the theater. But if you're to be exceptional at this job, you know, the story needs to begin long before they enter that theater. And the story needs to continue long after the trip to the movie is done. Like, you know, if I, I constantly keep it going, I've been talking about fucking my first movie for like nearly 30 years for heaven's sakes. The reason people still talk about clerks today has a lot to do with me still going out there going clerks, everybody remember that magic trick like keeping it alive. I like to keep the story going. Sometimes you keep the story going by making a sequel as we're doing with like Clerks 3 or something like that. In the case of blockchain filmmaking though, I could do something that like I don't really get to do 
in this world. I can take an already existing movie, not necessarily George Lucas it where I change everything, but I could just keep adding on to that one thing rather than just like, here's a sequel that I'm selling you all together. There's a world where it's just like Kilroy just gets longer and longer and longer, you know, and just becomes this wide unwieldy thing that you couldn't do in the normal world, you know, just be too much volume for some other media or something like that. I also feel like there's going to be blockchains where I'm going to get a lot of shit done that I haven't been able to get done in the real world because a lot of them are passion projects. And this is where the passion is, man. You got a bunch of people who just when I've entered the space with Kilroy already like, Oh, you're here. Thank God. I, I haven't felt this welcome any place in a long fucking time. Like generally people speaking, people like you again, but coming into the space, people like you say nice things like fucking you're a visionary like us. And I'm like, no, I you're the visionaries. I'm just following you into the space with this movie I made and stuff. So I feel like the future of it is, you know, you could take a thing that was done and never be done. It, it'll answer my dream of like the story never ending. You know, is that line? It's a dopey line and a wonderful earbug of a journey song. You know, where Steve Perry sang, and the movie never ends, it goes on and on. As an artist, I've been trying to figure out how to do that for the, my own whole career. And you could do it with sequels and stuff, but, like, could you imagine if I just added to it? Like like Richard Linklater did with Boyhood. Like, that was a movie he shot over a long period of time that finally put it out at once. What if we just shot it over time and you just kept seeing it evolve as it went on, like Boyhood in real time? I don't know, shit like that. I'm not a big thinker, kids. I'm, uh, you're not going to get the brilliant ideas out of me. You're just going to get Kevin Smithy type ideas, but that's one of them. Yeah, so I guess in a way, everyone sees blockchain as being like a progressive industry, like things that are about the future and what we're able to, to accomplish using this technology. Do you also think that maybe uh, the traditional movie industry has reached a peak in terms of like limitations and uh, therefore we have to move forward to um, to maybe uh, evolve uh, as a community and uh, as a way that uh, we are able to do the things uh, and that's why y- you thought about this uh, the solution which is the progressive way of doing things you know like thinking about what comes next and what we're able to do within this industry to connect with your community to connect with your to your audience things that were limited, were were not available in the traditional industry that you are uh, part of. Very, very true. I came of age in a very traditional business. Let's call it analog for lack of a better description. And, you know, we live in a digital world and an even more digital future. So I'll probably always have one foot in the world I came from because it's nostalgia, sentimentality, the world I know best, the world that I dreamed about being in. You know, before all of this, these are new dreams, right? As the dreams of an older man. Dream of young Kev Smith was just like, I just want to be in movies. Oh, my God, could you imagine making movies and stuff? So to that end, um, and I think this is what I was going for before. I didn't know if I told the story or not, but there's this movie theater in uh, Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey. The movie theater that I grew up going to when I was a kid. That's where I spent my Friday nights, where I saw, like, all the Friday the 13th movies, so forth and so on. Me and a few friends of mine are, are buying the theater. And, you know, it's, it's all things considered not very expensive because it's in a small town and stuff like that. 
And film exhibition is what a lot of people consider to be a dying medium. You know, we've seen whole film companies, film distribution, com exhibition companies go out of business. Um, AMC teetered for a while there. So exhibition is not a business people are like dying to get into. It, you know, a lot of people think of it as like, oh, it's kind of like record stores. Although Marvel movie comes out, you know, movie biz is the movie biz. Don't matter. But it's not kind of what it used to be because they got competition. You could stream. You could sit there and watch movies on your phone for heaven's sakes. Why? What? Go to a place at a time? Two o'clock? How archaic. I'm going to watch it when I want. Two in the morning while I'm eating fucking shit in bed and stuff. So I get it. Like, it's it's a place where you don't really go like, well, that's the future. But I like to kind of mix my mediums. So I didn't just buy a theater going or we're not in the process of buying a theater. And it's not just me. It's with my friends. But we're not in the process of buying a theater just because, like, boy, it'd be fun to own a movie theater. That's part of it. Don't get me wrong. And being, you know, owning the childhood theater, the one that I used to go to, the one that made me want to be a filmmaker, there's something beautiful about that. But for me, like, I've always thought of, like, empty movie theaters when you go during the day and you, like, at a matinee and there's, like, one person there. I've always felt like, man, like, if I owned a movie theater, one of the first things I'd do is open a film school in it. Because during the day, they got nothing going on. Every one of these screens is like a is a, a classroom, for heaven's sake. So in buying this movie theater, one of the first things I said was like, well, now we have to do that film school idea. So like next year, we're going to open a film school. And we're going to a very simple program to begin with, which is just like how to make clerks. Because that's the only thing I could teach you. I can't teach you how to be a filmmaker, but I can teach you how to make the fucking one thing that I did make. But the next program that we're adding is with David Shapiro, who's my partner, uh, on Kilroy, my producer, uh, the guy that runs Semcor Productions, um, he was the guy, you know, who's, for whom I had the conversation with about like, hey, what if we did this as an NFT? So David uh, has like a film school online where he teaches people like, you know, digital effects and whatnot. Uh, Dante is one of the teachers. Uh, he's the guy who did all our visual effects in Kilroy was here. We got like a fake alligator in it. It looks real as shit, man. But Dante created it with bucket zeros and ones. He's the guy that's making all the NFTs as well. So David was like, if you're doing that school, what if I bring my digital program in there? And then we could possibly have students who are building a metaverse as well. So, you know, at that point, uh, a, a very analog idea, like owning a movie theater, gives way to like, oh, we could bridge into the digital world. Uh, we could bridge into like Web3 in as much as like, you know, some people have asked uh, about whether Kilroy would be seen off of uh, an NFT or not. Will they ever see it in the real world? Uh, if I own a movie theater, which I will and looks like minutes, you'd be damn skippy. You'll be able to watch Kilroy at midnight, Friday and Saturday. And we'll have special screenings for the NFT community, people that bought it and whatnot. So you bring the community from online into the real world. So you know, I'm not visionary enough to tell you like what you could do with the technology. I'm going to rely on smart people to tell me what to do with that. But I know how I'm going to like bring that technology and blend it in with my world. Um, that movie theater is is kind of one of the key components for me uh, in that. That's how pot committed I am to this. Like the idea is, you know, some people are like, oh, I, online, I catch a lot of shit on my social media for people like you're involved with those NFT scams. And, I'm, you know, I used to try to explain to people like it's not a scam. I'm literally selling you a movie. Like, where, where's the fucking scam? If that's a scam then I've been scamming you for years with DVDs and shit like that. But like some of them are getting it and some of them are going to take the trip. And it's going to take a little while because a lot of them have read some shit online and 
true, untrue, whatever the fuck, and they've formed opinions and whatnot. But if I just kind of keep my head down and do what I'm doing, they'll follow because they'll see that I'm committed and I am committed. This is not just like I'm doing this fast and we're going to make a bunch of money and fucking leave and shit. This is a playground, man. And it's a growing playground. And right now it's going to sound gross kids, but like this is a very small pond and I'm a very big fish in it. I love being that. That rarely happens in my fucking career. I'm the smallest fish in the biggest pond out here in fucking Hollywood and shit. I make Kevin Smith movies. That shit is like way below fucking trauma movies at this point for heaven's sakes and i have a high regard for trauma so don't misread that so if i could go to a place where people are like hey you're that guy you'll be useful here i'm gonna go to that place and that's where we are right here in this world you know you you touched on a really interesting question which is everyone knows that hollywood is sort of gatekept and it's a really permissioned industry you know so you're using nfts to turn this thing upside down and make it permissionless. That's the messaging bit. that you've been trying to do. A little bit, because that's the world I come from. It's not even a new message. I wish I could say, like, oh, I'm fucking a revolutionary. This goes back to, like, when I made Clerks. Like, I was a fan of movies growing up. My father would take me to the movies. He'd pull me out of school and bring me to the movies all the time, man. Like, fucking first time he ever did it, I was in, uh, what was I, uh, fifth grade. Because I went to, he pulls me out of school, go see Raiders of the Lost Ark. He decided, like, you know, my dad worked at night and shit, so he slept during the day. He had three kids, and he's just like, look, the fat one likes movies. I'm going to watch movies with the fat one. And that became our thing. So he would take me to see the movies all the time. And never once was he just like, you could do this sort of thing. So we didn't come from that fucking world. You do that now. I raised my kid being like, you do whatever you want and shit. Um, just don't fucking fly without a jetpack. That's impossible and shit. But like back in the day, adults didn't say that. So my father was never like, you could be one of these people. He was just a guy that was like, you know, fucking see that mountain, never climb it. You'll fucking fall. But he fed the beast in as much as like, this is what I like. I like, I liked being in the, this is going to sound creepy. Bear with me. Don't take it out of context. I like being in the dark with my dad. Let me explain that. My dad was my dad. And he just acted like dad and he was the authority and shit. He wasn't a dad like I am. Like my kid tells me, she's like, you were less of a dad and more like a rich older brother who bought everything. And that's kind of what I was going for when I was a dad. My dad was a dad. Like he was just like, you know, I work and I make the money and these are the rules and you got to be home at five o'clock. You know, he's just an authority figure and whatnot. I loved him, but there was, he was just dad. That was it. In the movie theater though, sitting next to dad in the dark, watching movies that's who I fucking found out who he was. That's when I found the real Don Smith, not just the dad, the guy who was in charge of my life, my brother's life, my sister's life and shit. I found the, the kid at heart, kid who fucking loved going to the movies so much so that he grew up and shared it with his kid and shit. Uh, doing something with my the fat kid was just an excuse. He loved going to the movies himself. And watching him watch movies like educated the fuck out of me. You learn a lot about being a human being, watching your father watch a movie at a young age. You've learned what's funny. You learn what's touching. You watch your father cry at a movie, strong-ass male role figure, male role model and shit like that, and watch him get reduced to tears because of some bullshit, some made-up bullshit scene in a movie. That's permission to be something in life. You know, I saw my father cry at World According to Garp. I was like, he's a man. Don't matter. You can cry at shit. You can cry at a movie. Nobody ever, and I've been called like names my whole life. I, you know, put up a video of me watching the Flash season season one finale and crying, and people are like, "Good lord!" And they use it, they repurpose the video all the time and shit. Probably put dicks all over it, whatever, fuck. But 
My father taught me at a young age without teaching me. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't sitting me down and be like, this is how you grow up and be a decent human being and shit. It just showed me who he was secretly, man. I learned that through art. So I've always been attracted to art and particularly movies as an art form and whatnot. But, you know, I'm not J.J. Abrams. You know, I'm not even, I'm not James Gunn. I'm not Steven Spielberg. I don't make movies for everybody. The kind of stories that I like to tell are small. You know, they're just for people dopey like me, think like me and shit. Kevin Smith kind of movies and whatnot. So I could have never made a movie or I could have like made it for a very small select audience. The idea of like not going for everybody, but just enough people and stuff. And truthfully, I, I'm, I wasn't even thinking about them. You make these things for yourself. You know, this is a very masturbatory art form when you're storytelling. You want to hear the story. And then, you know, you also pretend like, oh, yeah, it's for the audience as well. But they're all secondary. It's all about you first. You want to bring this thing into the world. This is the closest thing to creation that a man like me could get to, man. Like, you know, I can't have a child, but I could sit there and come up with a dopey idea for a story, chase it down, follow it, write it try to find money, then shoot it and get people to convince them to be in it and then convince people to see it and stuff. So you don't have to get everybody for that. And the nice thing about this is with community, you can go small. Like it don't have to be everybody. It just can be the people who are interested and there are enough of them. You know, I've learned that over the course of my career, man, just because the story is not macro doesn't mean an audience won't show up. And this is the perfect space where you don't have to worry about, as I said before, size. Passion goes much further than volume in this space. You know, quality over quantity, I guess. Everyone you meet here is extremely passionate about cryptocurrency and what it can bring for our future and the betterment of it. So, mm. yeah, the people on stage, you know, Tegan, Harry, Tom and Eric that you're going to meet very soon – are doing, you know, each of them doing cool things from different angles. So maybe Tegan, you want to, you want to ask your, your question? Totally. Yeah, Kevin, I love your enthusiasm and it's great to see you kind of embrace this space. And I think it's going to encourage a lot of others to do, to take a similar approach. Uh, yes. Yeah. And to your point earlier about people kind of dismissing the space and calling NFTs a scam. I was at Quentin Tarantino's event when he dropped an NFT in New York City uh, last year. And one thing that he mentioned was kind of similar, like when things went from writing just to digital, it blew people's minds back then. And this is kind of like the natural evolution of the next step. Um, and I think you double clicked on something really important in the NFT space. And I think like something that's really profound that this space unlocks is, is the ability for artists and creators to connect with their fans and with their super fans. And so one question I have for you is just how are you going to cultivate that community as it emerges and continues to form? Mm, uh, certainly online, but also I'm a big fan of the real world stuff. So like, you know, early on, even before we were talking about, Kilroy is an NFT. David was talking about how NFTs are were going to be used as tickets. I forget which band kind of sold an NFT as a life a ticket for life. Um, does anybody remember who did that? It's right around that time we were having that conversation. I forget. There was some band that was like, we'll sell this NFT and it'll get you into any of our concerts for the rest of time. So I was like, oh my God, you could use them for ticketing as well? He's like, yeah, because not only like we buy a ticket, keep the stub maybe he's going but imagine if your ticket was an nft and you have this cool ass collectible that you'll have forever and stuff so i was right then and there i'm a live performance type person um you know we've got a podcast theater uh smod castle 
in New Jersey. Uh, I'm usually doing Fat Man Beyond at the Scum and Villainy Cantina. Me and Ralph Garman did Hollywood Babylon, our live show at the Improv for years and years. And and I'm also usually on stages by myself, if not on a stage, Jason Mewes doing Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. So I, I live in the live performance space. The idea of like this community where like you've bought a thing and like you're now a member of this fucking club to me is just part and parcel with everything I've kind of worked on so far. Um, so like the the idea of being able to be like, hey, you can come see me like yet again talking on a stage. But this time you're going to walk away with something kind of cool, a collectible that will then in the future open up something else. Like the cool thing about using it as a ticket or using the blockchain is like, let's say that event is done. We do an event, they go to it, it's done. We do like a post party online, like fucking five days later because everybody's got the key in their hands. So I'm looking forward to like a lot of real world events because that's the the world I come from as well. And I've found that like, you know, by going to VCon and Decentralized, most people in the space like going to the real world events as well. So I'm going to keep crossing over uh, the two. Uh, Get ready for many Kilroy screenings, kids particularly in New Jersey. First up, we're going to be touring Clerks 3, of course, this this fall. But uh, after that, Kilroy get-togethers uh, with our audience, our growing audience as well. I, I honestly, like, you know, we refer to them as, like, the Kilroy kids. And the idea is, like, I, I've had audiences before, and they've been very supportive of me um, uh, financially, uh, emotionally, spiritually, and stuff. Uh, but the idea of this audience that... that that I could collaborate with. And they're all so vital and young with better ideas than I'll ever have for the rest of my fucking life. You know, I'm about to release clerks three for heaven's sakes. There's a three in the title and the movie's great, but obviously when it comes to new ideas, you know, uh, you couldn't accuse me of being uh, Chris Nolan. I don't even know if he's the king of new ideas. I don't know why I pulled him. I just think of him as like the greatest filmmaker and shit. Was that, did that make sense? Did that work? Yes, totally. I think a big reason why people buy NFTs is to get access to that in-person community. At least for me, that's very important. So amazing. And doing this kind of stuff is like no skin off my ass, right? Like at the end of the day, it's time, not dimes. Like we live in a world where like this is fucking costing us nothing but time. We have this amazing technology. We're all sitting on talking to each other and shit. We don't have to pay a fucking dime for it, man. All we have to do is jump onto StreamYard and stuff. So the idea of like that NFT living longer and being access to something like this, where it is a hundred of us sitting around a room, shit, 20 of us sitting around in a room is easier to get conversation done that way as well. And it's more intimate. You know, it's not being at a place where I'm on a stage and they're a hundred feet away in the audience. Suddenly we're talking about that thing we all went to just like this as part of the community. So I'm way into that. Obviously I love hearing the sound of my voice. So it's hard to get a conversation going with me, but Generally, I, I, in the real world, when people aren't asking me questions, I, I listen more than I talk. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, so can you explain how Hollywood works as an insider, right? In order to pitch a film, you need to get like Paramount or Netflix to approve it first. Uh, and then, you know, they, they only approve a certain formula that has already been proven in the past, such as remakes, for example, that have been successful because they don't want to risk their money on something new, right? So, so I've, I followed the, you know, how Matrix was made and 
Yeah, the Wachowskis, they they had to make Bound first um, to prove that they could make film before Hollywood would invest in The Matrix. And turns out Matrix was just one of the most creative, mind-blowing artifacts um, of our time. So now technically how- though, but now you're you're kind of right, but technically it's not like Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers had nothing to do with Bound. That was made by Gramercy, I believe. That was owned by Universal. Okay. So it wasn't right. like somebody at Warner Brothers is like, you guys go off and make Bound before we let you make this. They just knew themselves, uh, the Wachowskis, that like, you know, we're going to need a lot for The Matrix. Let's just show them we know how to make a movie, period. So that's a miracle in and of itself to get Bound made, which they did and Bound is a wonderful movie. But then they, you know, with their agent, um, who then went on to work at Warner Brothers, Jeff Robinow, uh, stepped up to Warner Brothers with this vision that, thankfully, somebody at Warner Brothers was like, I think this is worth taking the gamble on. So traditionally what happens is, and, and I, I believe me, I'm no more a Hollywood insider than, than most people here. I've been inside the rooms and stuff, but I'm far outside the fucking mainstream and shit. There's a world of difference between the J.J. Abrams of this world and myself. You know, we are all movie business, but they're in the movie business. I'm in the movie business. So that being said, take this with a grain of salt. Let's say you wrote a movie, a script, and you're like, I want to, I think this movie's good enough to get made in the studio system. I think Warner Brothers should make it and shit. God bless. Good for you, man. I like that kind of confidence. First thing you're going to need is to get that script seen. Generally speaking, traditionally, this isn't the only path, kids. Remember, there's a, a door, a front door that will take you into the mansion. Yes, absolutely. However... There are many windows and many back doors. You can get into that mansion in other ways. You don't have to go strolling through the front door. This is the traditional front door approach. Back door is always more fun. And I don't mean that dirty, although it did kind of sound it. So you're going through the front door. You've written a script. What do you need to get that script seen? An agent. Because the agent is going to send that script into a studio where somebody's going to read it, give it coverage, and be like, hey, this is a good script. Then a studio exec's going to read that coverage. Maybe they'll read the script. Then they're going to invite you in to talk about that script. Talk about, hey, maybe we'd like to pick this up. And that's if they're if you're like, oh, I want to direct this as well, and you've never done that before, you can give up all hope of that. You're just a screenwriter at this point. The chances of them letting you direct your first film, particularly if it costs a bunch of money, decrease as time goes on. So you come in with a script, and let's say Miracle of Miracles are like, this is a fucking original script. I would like to see this fucking movie. Chances are they're just going to try to buy it from you and then make you a producer on it or something, go forward, make the movie, and then congrats, you're in the movie business, and then it's much easier for you to get things done in the future. I was never going to get into the movie business that way because I, you know, what I had a hundred, my first script was Clerks, and it was 164 pages full of dick jokes set at a convenience store. You know, there's no way that I could have walked into Universal and been like, here it is, the future. They wouldn't have fucking seen it at all. I wouldn't have even gotten past the front gate because I didn't have an agent. But I'd seen Richard Linklater's Slacker. He made a movie in 1991 called Slacker. He made it before that came out in 91. And uh, Orion Pictures Classic released it. And it was this uh, movie that he made in Austin, Texas, um, with a bunch of friends and shit. No main characters, just kind of plotless. You just follow people around Austin, Texas for like 90 minutes and shit. And I loved it. Thought it was brilliant. Thought it was everything. I'd watched so many movies up till that in my life, never really kind of dipped into independent film. And suddenly I was like, wow, it's crazy. This guy just fucking made a movie. You don't live in New York. You don't live in Los Angeles. That's where they make this shit. 
this guy just fucking made this movie in the middle of nowhere. Like fucking shit, man. Is that possible? You got to see it before you can be it. And I saw Richard Linklater do it. And I was like, this guy could do it in fucking Texas, in the middle of Bumblefuck, Texas. I didn't know that Austin was the capital of Texas and UT is there. If you were ever going to make a movie, Austin was probably the place in Texas you were going to do it. But a little ignorance will go a long way. And I had no idea. So I was like, this guy could do it in fucking backwoods, Bumblefuck, Texas. Why can't I try making a movie in New Jersey, man? And so at that point, I kind of, you know, started reading up on it. We didn't have an internet, so you couldn't like get a quick education or something like that. You had to piece it together or go to film school. I didn't have time to go to film school. So I found another way in rather than go through the front door of writing clerks and presenting it to a studio. I I tried Richard Linklater's way. I've tried Jim Jarmusch's way, Hal Hartley's way, people I'd read about or whose movies I watched where they made them independently. Some of them made it on credit cards. I remember this interview that Robert Townsend, had did Robert Townsend directed a movie called the Hollywood shuffle. Very funny movie came out in the late eighties, early nineties. And he gave an interview on the Howard Stern show years and years ago. And I was listening to it on the radio. He talked about how he got the budget was on credit cards. And I'd listened to the interview. Cause I was like, is that possible? I'd never heard that sort of thing before. And he said, yeah, I had some credit cards and I used the cash advance to finance the movie. And then I paid off the minimums later on. And that always stuck in my head. I was like, that's clever. Years later, when I decided I wanted to be a filmmaker, guess what the fuck I did? Put clerks on credit cards. Because if I waited for permission for somebody to tell me to go make my art, gave me their blessing, I'd be still waiting to this fucking day. Nobody's coming, kids. There's no help out there. Nobody wants to fucking help, man, because they're all busy trying to make their fucking dreams come true. So the idea that, like, somebody's going to discover you, you know, I couldn't wait for that. I couldn't. I couldn't hope that I could submit a script and maybe find an agent, maybe climb that ladder and stuff. Felt like, let's go guerrilla fi- like style, guerrilla filmmaking, man. Let's do it ourselves. I mean, some of the movies I love, they didn't have the best cinematography. You know, they didn't look like they were made by a studio, but fuck, were they compelling? Subject matter was even more interesting than most of the shit I was being fed from across the hill. I point over the hill because that's where the studios are. So, That made me want to find another way into the mansion. And I did. I was never going to get through the front door. So I went through the back door. I went through like the fucking cellar door and shit like that, carrying clerks under my under my arm. You know, this is a medium, though, where people are okay. Like, look at all the different art that's out there in the world of NFTs right now. You know, whether or not you like the picture of a of a a bored ape wearing a different hat or smoking a cigarette. As art, kids, and art is in the eye of the beholder and stuff. There's, it's a visual medium to begin with, and some of the visuals capture your imagination, and some of them you're like, that counts? That's fucking terrible. Just like we've always felt about art for time immemorial. So here, same fucking prospect, man. Like, I could come into the space with, for lack of a better description, some ugly-ass art, some art that wouldn't be accepted other places. But I know it's damn good. And the world that I came into, the world of indie film, doesn't really exist anymore the way it did when I first came into it. When I came into the world, you know, you dreamed about selling your movie to a distributor and then them exhibiting movie, taking it to an exhibitor and taking it out. That world doesn't really exist anymore. Movie theaters don't really cater to indie films that much. Uh, Indie film storytelling has moved into the streaming world. You know, you see a lot of what used to be indie subject matter, indie film subject matter in some of your better streaming shows on FX, Netflix, uh, HBO Max, Hulu, so forth and so on and shit. So where does a neophyte filmmaker go today? 
Like, where am I today? If I'm trying to make clerks today, I'm not trying to make clerks going, ooh, maybe we could sell it to like, you know, Universal or Disney. No, obviously not. Where do I think about going? Right fucking here, man, where nobody's going to care if you got rough edges because everybody knows you're starting your journey and you're going to get more support for that. You're not going to get mocked or told you're fucking not good enough because you have no experience. You're going to get rooted on by a bunch of people who are like, sore, bitch, fucking skate, go out there and do it, man, because we all kind of understand. Whether you're somebody who likes to do it or somebody who likes people to do it, likes to watch them do it, likes to be supportive. Whether you're uh, the artist yourself or a collaborator by way of being a member of the audience or somebody who actually helps things get produced in this world. Everybody likes to make a fucking thing. So don't wait to go through the front door. If you can find a back door in, man, and right now in this space, nothing but back doors. I mean, again, like a lot of people talk about like fucking... NFTs is fucking stupid. It's a scam and shit like that. I That really doesn't dishearten me because at the end of the day, I'm like, great, stay out of the space. More room for me. You know, at a certain point, it's going to be very crowded around here. Right now, it's not. It's luxurious. You move around. It's a few of us here. I remember like when I went on the internet, like when I first started uh, VSQ.com, it's like late 95. The only two filmmakers who we on the internet interacting with the audience was me and Peter Jackson. Now, he got smart and got off the internet and won a bunch of Oscars. He's very talented. I stayed on the internet because I love the idea of being in touch with the people who I'm begging to go see my fucking movies, man. Like, this is a symbiotic relationship and whatnot. So here, like in the NFT community in Web3, it's even more symbiotic. And it's also more collaborative. So this world, like with rough edges and being untraditional and not going through the front door is written into my creative DNA kids. That's how I got here in the first place. I, it's very kind of you to call me a Hollywood insider, but I've always been a Hollywood outsider. But if I waited for Hollywood, I wouldn't be here. I, I don't wait for permission to make my art. I wait for permission in most things in life. I'm law abiding citizen kids. But when it comes to telling my story on my time in my one and only lifetime, I'm not going to wait for some fucking corporation to tell me I can do that. I can do that just fine by myself with some help from my friends. Exactly. And that's also the spirit of crypto anarchism as well, which, you know, we have a excellent spokesperson of crypto anarchism, Harry here. Yeah. So Harry, educate us. Okay, no, no, don't worry about it. I mean, you know, uh, I'm an anarchist, so I really appreciate what you're trying to do with movies make to make them more directly democratic and to make them controlled by the viewers. I think that's uh, that's a really amazing uh, endeavor. And, you know, we want people to basically only support movies they want. We know inside of the movie industry, there's a lot of scams, insider dealing. I'm sure you've got more stories uh than anyone else. I'm not really, I don't really understand NFTs deeply. I'm kind of a right click save kind of guy. But that being said, uh, I was very interested in uh, why you're you're using blockchain tech in particular, and uh, also secret network, which is a privacy network based on a technology last time I checked called secure enclaves in particular Intel SGX. Um, is there any relationship you think between uh, the kinds of things that you're promoting or your political philosophy or ideology 
and secrecy or privacy or fundamental rights. Uh, you know, we over here in the, in the dev space, we really view cryptography as a way to enforce uh, fundamental rights because governments uh, can't and won't protect them and have created a sort of mass surveillance death machine where their dying gerontocracy can hold on for as long as possible as the world burns. Um, and I do think, you know, uh, there's a, we, at least in my opinion, it's the last chance we have. And, uh, but we don't, we've done a terrible job at getting uh, that message out. And the world has, has really changed since Clerks. Uh, Clerks is a great movie, had a huge influence on me. Uh, but now I really feel, you know, politically things are crazy. Environmentally things are crazy. And your choice of doing a, a kind of crowdfunded NFT movie is super cool. And you're, and you're, you're, how you're building it on top of secret is something or why you are interested in privacy is something I'd, I'd really like to know about because I, I was actually kind of surprised and didn't know you had uh, the side to you. So I'd like to know more. It's a great question, Harry. I know nothing about privacy and it doesn't uh, interest me that much. I mean, I'm interested in it as much as I can listen to you talk about it. I know it exists. I'm all for it and stuff, but it's never a primary goal for me. Um, it was not a driver uh, in us going to secret at all. What brought us to secret was secret reached out. I'd been out there for about a year, you know, going like, we're going to auction this movie and we're going to auction it to the highest bidder and talking about taking Kilroy into the NFT space. Secret uh, reached out to us. They had done a very successful Pulp Fiction uh, NFT drop with Quentin Tarantino. They reached out and they were like, you're doing it wrong. We have a better idea for what you should do with Kilroy. And we would like you to do it here with us at Secret. So it, I wasn't driven by like, aha, the so excellence did, in did private. Did email you? I mean, that's kind of, I, I like the, uh, how do you say oh, Sorry. It? Did they just like email you out the blue or? There was I get, David Shapiro, who's our producer, um, who I, I talked about before, it runs Semcore Productions. He is big in the space and has been going far back. He's like one of the original Bitcoin holders and stuff. So he'd been around for a while and a big proponent uh, of the space. He was the one that reached out to me because he'd been reached out to by Secret. I think there was one other like group that were like, hey, who introduced us? And that escapes me at this moment. But David was the one that was like, uh, I had just uh, this conversation with Guy over at Secret Network, and he has all these ideas. So he was the one that put us together, and we started talking about it. It's probably not a satisfactory. Oh, no, no. I mean, it's just interesting because, you know, we, uh, the blockchain space has lots of hype, but, but very few actual, I would say, users and very few people doing things like uh, fundraising uh, movies out on top of it. So uh, the fact that you've taken this path, hopefully – uh, helps uh, blaze a, a trail for others. So I've seen all sorts of things. I mean, the most success, I don't know how much money making a, a movie requires and the market has collapsed by like 60 to 80% in the last few weeks because that's just how crypto works. But I remember uh, when we were uh, working on some fundraising for Julian Assange, mm-hmm. uh, I know about from WikiLeaks, uh, NFTs, uh, you know, we asked for donations for for a long time. No one ever People don't like to donate uh, for charities, but you say you add an NFT on top and you get 52 million in like a week. So I, I, I wish you the best uh, for your future project. I hope you can also get 50 million and produce uh, some really rock and roll material for us. Fingers all. crossed. But Harry, just to be clear, like we're not uh, financing. We're done with the movie. The movie's done. We're selling the movie. We're distributing. Uh, so it's not us going like, I hope we can get money to make the movie. The movie's 
already done. Yeah, but still, I think it would open the doors for other people. Yeah, like absolutely. That's the hope. That's the hope. But, but to be fair, I think that's going on now. I think there are people who have been raising financing off of NFTs in preparation to make movies. I, I think that's actually happening as we speak. But hopefully this will let more people know, like, here's an option. Here's a way in. So, yeah, speaking of Secret Network, the guys behind the project are also here. We have, yeah, Corbett from Secret. We also have Itzik. Um, they're also from Secret Network. So, you know, these are the guys that, you know, brought you in and, you know, we want to have them. Like, I'm the guy that just, like, you know, obviously I'm the stoner who's like, hey, dream a big dream, kids and stuff. Guy and, and folks can actually address, you know, what Secret does beyond make dreams come true. Uh, you know, as Harry was pointing out, they they are a, about privacy and whatnot, so I'm sure they've got lots more to say about that subject than I would. Yeah, um, when we bring when we bring them on, we're gonna tell you guys the secret password for those of you who've been waiting for that and know what it is. But yeah, uh, Tom has been waiting for a long time, so uh, Tom, go ahead. Hey, hey, Kevin, thank you so much for being on today. Um, I see you smoking a joint there. I wish you were in the metaverse and we could, you know, share share that. I'm thinking like, you know, this is... You wouldn't even have to worry about COVID in the metaverse. I'd be like, go ahead, drool all over. (laughs) That's right. Um, Anyway, like, I think the question I have for you is, I I guess I see um, one of the real benefits of, of crypto and NFTs in particular is the ability to kind of share value amongst like a much share value easily amongst like a really wide population of people distributed anywhere in the globe you know it's just a way of kind of um doing that and i was wondering if you had any plans to do that with either the kilroy nfts in you know in some ways do the owners of those nfts get some sort of the value generated by that movie either through you know if you sell the movie somewhere else do they do some of the rev that revenue come back to the owners or if people sell those nfts does, does a commission from each sale go back to the other owners, like the people who don't sell the NFTs? And also, I mean, can you see a world in, in the future where everything is NFTized, right? Like there's a Kevin Smith NFT. And if I have one, then anytime Kevin Smith makes money, I make money. Or any actor, you know, I can support an up and coming actor or actress and, you know, I buy their NFTs. And then if they become famous in the future, that I then get, you know, a share of the, the revenue of that. So, you know, literally everything could be owned and NFTized. And that's obviously a great way for people to raise funds initially but then for the people who do you know support and i guess you know invest in in those people those films or whatever for them to get some of that value back to them and obviously you know have that distributed through through cryptocurrencies or through further nft drops or you know some other way number one all great ideas and like holy shit like when i it's gonna sound silly but like when i listen to some of you talk i'm like jesus i'm dumb like I, you know, I just see the I forest for the trees, and you're looking at the sky and shit. You got vision. I don't know what what one could do with the Kilroy NFT now. I don't know. I know there are people who like crypto and NFTs because of the the rise, the financial, you know, the gain and stuff like that. I'm probably not the person to be able to speak to that, but I can speak to like the future because we were talking about like um, doing the Kilroy sequel, which presumably. 90% of it would be made by people who now own their own Kilroy and can make their own thing. And then I create a framing device and we put it out there. We all own that movie at that point. Like they own their percentage. I own the percentage I do. So when we sell it, everybody who partakes, partakes. That to me, I thought was kind of exciting and thrilling because, you know, maybe you bought the NFT for a couple hundred bucks and shit. 
maybe you wind up making the thing that's put you back a couple hundred bucks, but fucking production costs very little these days. And one could shoot a film on a fucking iPhone for heaven's sakes. You may actually wind up profiting. You know what I'm saying? Like the way that somebody who owns a piece of a movie would profit because you own a piece of a movie that you literally created. That movie wouldn't exist without the piece that you also did. So that's, that's what I know we'll be doing in the future, but I, I don't know what, like, um, like if somebody buys, if you, you resell the Kilroy NFT, like, is it go up in value or whatnot? I, I don't know. I guess it depends, right? On like, if it sells out or something like that, then there's a scarcity thing. I don't know. We never really even talked about that aspect of it. We were just so excited that like, oh my God, we can distribute this way. And I was excited about the idea of, oh my God, if we make the movie, the sequel with the well, audience, they're also going to profit participate as well. Um, but I haven't thought about like the, what happens in the, in the present, you actually might know better than me. Is there a world where somebody buys this killer NFT for what we sell it for? And then they sell it for more somewhere down the line. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, if you look at some of the crazy NFTs on like the board, Ape yacht club and things like that on Ethereum, they're selling well, that, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars, which originally sold for you know a couple of hundred dollars. I think I that, that makes, for some reason that makes sense to me. Cause I can equate that with like fine art. Like, you know, there's only a certain amount of fucking paintings in the Louvre or whatever the fuck. So naturally, those paintings would be very pricey. But for me, I'm like, I don't know. There's like we have 5,555 copies of the movie going out there. I, you know, I, I can't see it going up. I just assume most people would be like, here, you can take mine. I, I don't know. But it'd be wild if somebody like sold it for more than they bought it for. That would be fucking that. That would be a whole new world for a filmmaker, right? Like the closest a filmmaker has to that is if you take your movie to Sundance, you don't know what it's worth and somebody buys it for a lot of money. You're like, holy shit. Like that would be a shock or a surprise to me, a delightful one. To me, I know there, like the, the, there was a question about like, what about participation in that? I don't, I wouldn't, would we participate in that? Like if somebody bought my NFT and then resold it for like a million bucks, do I get a kickback or something? You should get a royalty. Yeah. I mean, it depends on how it's designed and hopefully we'll actually be working with the secret team on Legend Dow. So we'll, we'll build this into it, but you're not doing a very good job of shilling your NFTs. You should be like, talking about like 10 X, a hundred X, you know, I don't want to make, I don't, here's the thing. I don't want to promise, make promises on keep. This is the one promise I can make. If you buy the Kilroy was here NFT, you will be buying the first movie minted as an NFT. <laughs> what happens after that? Like, I don't want to be like, oh my God, hold all that shit because my God, you were going to, you know, it's, it's we're going, we're, what, what was it for Dogecoin? We're to the moon. No, the moon. I, I can't make promises like that. No, fair enough. Look, thank you so much, Kevin. I'll let other people speak because I know we've got a long list here and hopefully we'll get a chance to work together on the legend now. Absolute pleasure. Good talk. Awesome. You too. So yeah, in his place, we've got Itzik from Secret Labs and Torbear from the Secret Foundation. So yeah, thank you guys for bringing Kevin into the space. It's it's so exciting that, yeah, Secret Network has sort of found its niche as the uh, movie NFT platform. Yeah, yeah. Um, first of all, thanks for having us. It's super exciting, you know, seeing these na- big names, you know, Kevin fucking Smith, you know, doing an NFT. You guys um, had Quentin Tarant fucking Tarantino. That's way bigger. Than <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Great names following great names. Um, and hopefully, you know, it keeps on coming. And, you know, for, for me personally, you know, 
it, it, it's super exciting for two reasons. And the first is, you know, I, I'm part of the secret team, you know, it, the privacy aspect for me is, is super exciting because, you know, one of the reasons we approached Kevin is because, you know, I think Harry mentioned this, like the right click save problem of NFTs where, you know, you launch this content, but, you know, everybody can see everything. So if you launch a movie, you know, on a standard, you know, regular NFT on Ethereum or what have what have you, then, you know, anybody can see the movie, you know, not only if you bought, you know, the ticket or the NFT or whatever, you, know, you could just right click save the movie. And privacy and secret really takes things to the next level when it allows you to create NFTs that have this form of exclusive content. So you can do all kinds of amazing things that haven't really been thought of before. For example, like launching a movie as an NFT. And we really think that's, you know, a big place where NFTs are going to go in the future as well. This is like a personal reason of mine, but I'm also really excited. Like Kevin talked about, it's like the impacts that being able to launch, you know, entertainment content, whether it be a movie or a song or, you know, anything um, on the blockchain and sort of like, you know, making the barriers for entry that much lower. Um, I, I thought it was funny, uh, Kevin, that you talked about an interview where, you know, uh, I don't remember the name, Brian, I think, uh, said to take out a bunch of, you know, credit card debt and make a movie because you actually said the same thing. Um, on an evening with Kevin Smith, there was this, I don't know, like 18-year-old kid, you know, freshman in college, just stepped out of his mother's womb, you know, <laughs> looking, you know, doe-eyed at you, going like, Kevin, how can I make a movie like you did? And you're like, take out a bunch of credit card debt and go do your thing. That's terrible advice. That's not. It is. Advice. It is now. It is now. <laughs> Back then, it was easier. Like I, you got to remember, I my generation was like the first to be victimized, if you will, by predatory lending. Like I remember going to Brookdale Community College, and this is just a fucking local community college. You can't even get like a four year degree; just your associates, right? It's a wonderful college, but. This is Brookdale. This ain't even like fucking Harvard, Yale, whatever the fuck. You could not move on campus without fucking people forcing credit card applications into your hand. There was a time when they would just send credit cards like in the mail and shit. And I had a race with my friend Brian Johnson from Comic Book Men. I was like, let's see who can get more credit cards first. And so we would apply all the time for like credit cards and shit. The people would stop us like, would you like a free shirt? Be like, fuck yeah. I'll, I'll, like, I'll take a tumbler. So we'd apply for credit cards and see who got more. I won because I worked at RST Video, the video store that's in Clerks. And so I would write on my application. I make $50,000 a year. This is like 1989 as the manager of RST Video. It was a ridiculous salary. So eventually they call that fucking number. I was the only person that worked at RST. And so they would call do a credit check. Like, yeah, we're calling to check on Kevin Smith. I was like, oh, that's my manager. We pay him $50,000 a year. And they'd hang up and send me a fucking credit card. And I never did anything with them because my mom and dad were like, don't use credit cards. That's the devil. Use cash. So I just let them sit in my underwear drawer for a long time until the day that I was like, I want to make clerks. And I knew that I couldn't like Sam Raimi had written Evil Dead and he had gone around to local Minnesota dentists 
And he'd be like, this is my horror movie. Here's the script. Would you like to invest $5,000? And he wore his suit and shit like that. I didn't have enough confidence to like walk up to a dentist and be like, here's 164 pages full of dick jokes set in a convenience store. You want to hit your wagon on my fucking start? Like it just didn't seem likely. So the idea of using those credit cards, since I had heard, you know, an interview with Robert Townsend where he was like, I've made a movie on credit cards. I was like, well, I got credit cards. They're just sitting in my underwear drawer. That takes me one step closer, man. I have to pay the debt off, but at least I've got access to the funds. Now, I could do that because I was literally um, a kid. I was 22, uh, technically at that point, 20, 23, no, 22 when I made Clerks, came out when I was 23. So uh, I was living at home with my parents, um, and I worked at a store where the owners were like, you can make a movie here. We don't give a shit. So it was like a perfect fucking storm. And I always tell people like, you know, if you're 30 and you're married and you got kids, like you can't make the whimsical decision necessarily as quickly as I did of like, oh, I'm going to make a thing. You know, you got others to think about. Doesn't mean you can't do it. Just means you have to be a little more careful. There's people to think about. When I made Clerks, I didn't have anybody to think about but myself, thank God. So I was able to kind of pour myself into it. But credit cards made all the difference. But I would not recommend that for everybody that being said it costs us twenty-seven thousand five hundred and seventy-five bucks to make clerks like back in 1993 it came out in 94 you could make clerks today cheaper on your iphone for like way less so people have done so so it's not as expensive you don't need as many credit cards as we did yeah yeah question is like once you've made that movie now the challenge is how you distribute it how do you make a profit off that and i guess to a certain extent youtube used to be the answer but these days i mean you wouldn't well, you so much think about it remember how long it took youtube to monetize like for a while it was just people putting their shit up there and it was just exposure that was the currency that was the coin of the realm And then at one point, suddenly they monetized. They wanted to put commercials on it. And now people could get paid for their content. But, you know, those I'm a YouTube creator, so to speak. And uh, we put Fat Man Beyond up on my channel. Uh, that, uh, that Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith? No. That, YouTube.com slash that Kevin Smith. You know, pennies. I don't know how anyone could necessarily live off that. You got to have, you got to generate millions of views in order to see some, like, real money. I think there's a better chance of actual money in this space than there was on YouTube when they got started and even maybe YouTube now. Yeah. Yeah. What I was going to say, like nobody would make clerks on an iPhone and put it on YouTube. They'd split it up into like 10 second clips and put it on TikTok or something. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was, let me tell you, man, TikTok is frightening for me because people are so fucking talented. It's something I've been saying for years, and I come from that world. Like, I'm an outsider artist where it's like, hey, man, I wasn't to the manor born. I just came out of nowhere with a scrappy little movie, and it proves that anybody could do it. Cinderella story kind of shit. Well, TikTok is that times a billion. Because you just stream through it, and you're like, this person's more talented than me. This person's more talented than me. This person should have their own fucking movie. This person should have their own fucking show. It's been a real eye-opener, so I go to it very sparingly because I treat it like South Park. I remember when South Park came out, I was like, this shit's so brilliant. If I watch this every week, I'll just quit what I do because they've cracked the code. Like, this is amazing. I treat TikTok the same way. I go to it very sparingly. Otherwise, I'm dejected at how talentless I truly am. Yeah, yeah. I think, like, um, one of the challenges of TikTok is that it caters to a very specific type of content. And it, it's sort of, I think in a way, I assume I'm not a content creator myself, but I assume it, 
you know, it sort of sets you on a very specific path. Because I don't think, you know, I'm not on TikTok myself, you know, I'm over 30. But I would expect that, you know, the next Citizen Kane won't come from TikTok. These well, kind of views, here, well, yeah. let's let's amend that. The next Citizen, the, what we consider the next Citizen Kane may not come from TikTok, but what the TikTok audience considers the next Citizen Kane or their Citizen Kane, they're, they're less like judgy than we are, right? Because they've grown up with this medium now. So they'll tell us what their best is or something like that. So there's a chance that a Citizen Kane comes from that world for sure. If not, at least the maker of the next Citizen Kane may for sure come out of that TikTok world. And those kids are fucking crazy talented, man. Like just basic ideas. But that's why it appeals to me because Clerks was a basic idea. It wasn't brilliant. It's like I worked at that store. I was like, let me just make a movie about working here. TikTok is like the same principle where people are like, I'm just going to shoot this because this is funny. And sometimes they script and sometimes they kind of go through traditional format sto storytelling. But really, the seat of your pants kind of nature of it is, is fucking thrilling, um, but scary. Scary enough for me to stay off of it. Say something about privacy, man. Do the privacy bit, Tor. Do the privacy bit. Yeah, Tor. Tell, tell, tell them all the boring shit, have. Tor. <laughs> First of all, I want to start from a place of like as a creator myself, uh, Kevin, it's it's such a thrill to have you in our ecosystem and the cosmos more broadly and blockchain even more broadly than that. My my experience was I, I used to make a lot of like homemade documentaries when I was 17, 18. I got to college thinking I was going to be a film major. So I joined the media department and then I dropped it because they told me I couldn't use the cameras without supervision for the first year and a half. I was taking all these courses where I was studying old Orson Welles films. So I gave up on the major and just kept making them on the side. And honestly, nice. I, I learned a lot more that way and learned a lot from your movies and learned a lot from uh, creators like yourself who have always forged their own path. So when I saw the potential for Secret and that tech to start enabling new opportunities for people that I have respected from the earliest stages of my adulthood, uh, if not my career, because I'm not a filmmaker now, obviously, but it's, it blows me away. Blows me the way where this has become so tangible. Uh, at a time when, as Harry was kind of saying, like most of the stuff that happens in the blockchain space touches no one, changed nobody's life, very, very niche communities. But as you say, right, we firmly believe that the fact that some of the noise is coming out of the room, it's like, all right, more room for Kevin, right? Stretch your arms out. You can, you can really touch a lot of people who are extremely passionate by being the loud voice in the space. And so I thank you for being a loud voice. But let me give you some of the language around privacy, right? Because yes. we're, we're doing this, we're doing this not just because of privacy as an ethos, which a lot of us have, even in the blockchain space where a lot of things are very public, we still care about privacy as a human right. We care about these sort of very personal issues, the right to protect uh, what you want to be said and, and protect what you don't want to be said, don't want to be revealed. There's, there's this sense that privacy is linked with consent, is linked with control and that level of empowerment, right? When I give talks on stage about what privacy actually means, I always break it down into a few fundamental pillars, one of which is consent, another of which is uh, freedom and empowerment, another of which is sustainability, right? These start to sound kind of familiar as creators, as, as artists, but also as collectors and consumers of media, we care about all those things. What we, what we don't always put together is that these are all part of the pillars of, of what privacy means. Privacy is a shorthand for that level of empowerment. Uh, and where that kind of meets the tech, right, is what Secret allows you to do that other blockchains haven't to date been allowing you to do as a creator, which is really control who has access 
to the information you want them to have without that ability to sort of mediate that connection between the creator, the collector, the community, the consumer, you're really just throwing your art out there and it's no longer yours. That that's kind of how it is for all art at past a certain point, but that's not a sustainable model for artists. If every time you create something, you're saying this is no longer mine at all. I have nothing to say about it. And you, you're not the only person who lose that protection. As soon as you do that, the, the collector is also in your same position. It hits the blockchain. Everybody has the same access. They also don't own it. So if it's not yours and it's not theirs, whose is it? You have found a way to use this tech and the privacy addicts of this tech to say, this is mine and it's yours. Together, we're going to write this next chapter. People are going to start to understand part of that is the blockchain, right? Part of that is that decentralization technology that allows everybody to be a stakeholder. But it's those privacy aspects at a technical level that allows this to be something that is not everybody's, but only a few people's, the people who are really owning it, pushing it forward. That's essential to community, essential to commerce, essential to artistic development. I, I think that having, having the right voices in the room for the next phase of Kilroy is exactly what you're looking to identify, but I think it's also exactly what you're about to achieve. So eloquent. Tor, why'd you wait this long to jump on stage? I'm up here babbling <laughs> like an idiot. That was so well put, man. Harry, somewhere Harry's rolling a tear at that. Well <laughs> no, nah, that, that's why that's what I get paid to do, man. I get paid to put on the hat and say pretty things. <laughs> I was gonna say but, you've you've earned the right to wear the privacy hat, Tor. I appreciate it, man. But to be honest, dude, I, like I said, it's not tangible for people. The the hat is like the most tangible thing I've got without you putting the movie on chain and letting people be a part of your vision. That's tangible. That's what people can touch. That's what we want people to be able to touch with blockchain technology. So I thank you again for creating something that's going to touch a lot more people than just me slapping a word on a hat, right? This is something people are going to be able to experience and contribute to for years to come. My God, that's, that's very kind. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you, man. Thank you, Tor. So we've gone on a couple of other people who want to ask you their questions. Um, that's Shane, Brent, Jonathan. Shane's also building an NFT platform in the Cosmos. Brent has built a lending platform also in the Cosmos. So uh, we'll we'll let them speak. Hey, Kevin, it's great to talk to you, man. Um, I, you? I grew great up in Jersey. You. Did you? What uh, part? In, uh, in Livingston. Oh, shit. That's where I rented my tux to go to my first prom at the Livingston Mall. Oh, really? Yeah. The entire city just surrounds, surrounds around the mall, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, grew up on mall rats and uh, clerks. So it's awesome to talk Thank to you. you. Thank you. Awesome. Um, I have a less serious question. Is your uh, What's your true horror story here? Is it your underwear drawer or is it Kilroy? Underwear drawer is actually pretty <laughs> bland, man. It's pretty. It's all just black now. Uh, my wife fell in love with the color black as my underwear. She was like, you don't look right in white. You look like you're trying to be a young boy. I wore uh, maroon for a while because it made me feel like Superman, but then she didn't like that. She So I wound up just wearing black underwear. It's very well ordered. Not, not like bound nicely and shit, but folded decent enough because I go through them frequently. As somebody who sweats a bunch, like I probably go through like two pair of underwear a day. So it's my horror, my, my underwear draw, not so much a horror story. The real horror story is I, I think I come across as kind and, and good guy and I'm up with people and shit like that. The only place I'm not like that 
is behind the wheel of a car. That is the real horror story of Kevin Smith. I'm, I'm honestly like probably the most reckless driver I know. I'll never get you killed because I, I value my own life too much, but I drive like an absolute fucking asshole. You know, I'm, I'm the guy that's coming up right behind you and shit and then fucking passes and stuff. Is a, it's comes from the Jersey in me. Uh, it does, yeah, that's a Jersey thing. It really Everyone is. I'm super very, scared to drive there. I'm a very aggressive driver, and I honestly, honestly wish that I, I could change that about myself, and I've actively tried, but some things are just fucking buried in the DNA. Jason Mewes, uh, who plays Jay, to my silent Bob, kind of drives the same way. He's very aggro as well. But he, I thought we were kindred spirits because, you know, raised literally in the same place. Recently, he told me, he's like, I won't drive with you anymore. And I was like, what the fuck, dude? Like, now you sound like my wife and shit. She won't drive with me either. That's the horror show. Kilroy is adorable. I mean, Kilroy is the classic, like, you know, Twilight Zone, Tales in the Dark Side, morality tale uh, anthology. And we just use Kilroy as our bad guy through it. Um, but there's some pretty cool horror stuff in it. Because we got Robert Kurtzman, there's blood. And at one point, my kid, she's a character in the movie, takes a machete into the fucking face. That was kind of cool. Um, wow. But honestly, nothing in the movie is horrifying as me behind the wheel. Stay away from me on the road. That's not a threat. That's just me saying, I, you don't want to be near me. I'm terrible. Now, now is Jay and Silent Bob going to make an appearance in this movie, or is it completely separate? Because I know, I, I know that Clerks 3 is also coming out. Clerks 3 is coming. They're all over that. Um, Jay is in the movie. He plays Chet, the janitor. Um, I'm not in the, in the movie, which is so strange, because it's very rarely that I'm not in the things that I make. Every once in a while, I try to do a thing that I don't put myself in to give it an air of legitimacy. So I was working with the kids at Ringling and I didn't want, you know, they're all neophyte filmmakers and shit. I didn't want them to feel like, ew, he came and cast himself in his own movie that we're shooting. So I kept myself out of it. I brought in other people. So Jason's in the movie, my kids in the movie, Chris Jericho's in the movie, Ralph Garman, who I do Hollywood Babylon with, he's in the movie. So I brought in other casts, left myself out of it. But Jay's in it. And basically, he's playing like the character Jay if he grew up to be the janitor at a kid's grade school. But yeah, you'll see him in it, man. He's great in it as well. Awesome, awesome. Excited to see it, man. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. And then, Brent, I've got you up next. What's up, Brent? Hey, hey, really good seeing you, Kevin. Big fan of your movies growing up. Thank Uh, you. Yeah, no, absolute pleasure. I was actually uh, thinking about something you were talking about earlier about you know, when you were financing, you know, clerks, um, basically going into credit card debt, you know, figuring out where do we put, put, put together money? How do we gather funds of this? Mm-hmm. And it really got me thinking because uh, you know, I come from a, a borrowing and lending space. So UMI, UMI uh, my project is a, is a Cosmos blockchain that focuses on uh, the borrowing and lending side. So mm-hmm. providing leverage, pres- providing, you know, credit facilities, financing to like different types of platforms. Oh, and, shit. you know, being able to look at, you know, what you did with clerk versus something like, you know, dogma, where obviously a, a huge, you know, required a lot more financing, required more resources to put a movie like dogma together. I wanted to ask you, so I think a lot about just people's credit quality, like, you know, different, like you were talking about back in college, you know, credit cards, <laughs> throwing them out there. Do you feel like someday NFTs holding a certain NFT or having access to this NFT could be a de- designation of someone's like, you know, quality as a as a bar or quality or you know ability to get financing, maybe to start a, a bigger movie or to you know 
build other things. Do you think, do you see a world where something like that could exist? It's absolutely visionary. Why not? I mean, it would certainly, the beautiful thing about the blockchain is all the information that can be verified that is, um, wouldn't that be the very sort of thing that one bases credit ratings on? You know, they, they don't base it on your personality. You can go into a bank and be as kind as you want. At the end of the day, they're looking at hard numbers and stuff. And an NFT can contain that information, privatized information, but information that you would choose to give out, you know, sparingly, the same way one gives out like a social security number or something like that. But yeah, why not, man? That makes absolute fucking sense. It's a good idea. Is that what you're doing? Is that what you're working on? Yeah, we're uh, we're, we're building out, you know, infrastructure for this. So we're, we're building out the, the, the debt capital markets for crypto. And um, we're always trying to talk to smart folks who, you know, have a good perspective on this and just to see if some of these ideas apply. Because at the end of the day, you know, this is a new integrated connected platform. And we think that all capital markets can be rebuilt, can be rebuilt in crypto. Entire market rebuilt using open source tech is just, just better than the legacy stuff. Absolutely agreed. Unfortunately, you didn't speak to a smart person. You spoke to a dumb person. But the good news is you need more people, dumb, advice from dumb people than smart people. The smart people probably pat you on the back and be like, you're right. Uh, dumb people uh, might say something that might be useful somewhere down the road. Uh, but you, you impress the fuck out of a dumb person. So that, that's something. No, we, we need to talk to real people. So that, that's what it's all about. So, no, absolutely. Real dumb. <laughs> but, but the idea plays. Like, the idea absolutely communicated and makes sense. So, yeah, pursue. I mean, to your point, Kevin, though, there, there are a lot, of, uh, a lot of people in this world. They're not all brilliant. And uh, even though I think you're downplaying your own a bit, uh, I think the, the idea of getting, getting a lot of voices in here is important. So, Brent, thank you for coming in here and asking. That was, uh, I think, a really interesting use case to demonstrate. Um, Jonathan, we've got you up next and we've got a couple other folks in here. Uh, Jonathan, want to give us a very quick intro about yourself and ask a question? Sure. Uh, Jonathan Karras. Actually, I went to school in Morristown. Uh, so Get the fuck out of here. Really, man. I used to go uh, to the green all the time. Uh, my brother lived and worked up there as well. Um, yeah, that's, I, I love that place. Uh, very cool. So I, um, uh, I, I build Levana. Uh, Levana is a adventure fantasy sci-fi story. It takes place in the future, Dragons on Mars. We've got a comic book. You actually make a cameo in the comic. Um, and uh, NFT set, uh, we had the, 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 uh, the largest uh, collection of NFTs on Terra. Um, and uh, we uh, kind of just innovate in the Cosmos space in terms of, uh, of gaming and, and entertainment. And how, long you been, how long have you been doing it? So we've been building Levana for uh, almost two years now, but I've been uh, working professionally in the space for about six years. Oh, and name, you know, before that, I've been during the uh, build. Are people do people get to interact with it, or has it been presented to the world yet? Uh, so it was. We're migrating over to a new home because uh, some drama within the crypto space happens. But, uh, we're looking forward to uh, you know reintroducing our entertainment and our storytelling, you know, and, Very cool. you know, I just, you know, I'm a little uh, starstruck, you know, you played a, a huge role as an inspiration as a storyteller and a, a director uh, for myself. You know, I, I grew up in, you know, in uh, my teenage years making black and white shows of me and my friends uh, just hanging out, you know, pretty much inspired by your work. 
So thank you. For you that. will be hearing from my lawyer about those black and white ripoff movies. I'll tell you right now. Thank you. For you that. know what? You can have a hundred percent of the royalties. <laughs> you know, to find done. those VHS tapes. <laughs> we heard um, it here. This is being recorded. I've got. Yeah. So, uh, so Killjoy is using the privacy aspect of secret to, Roy, to create Roy, kind Roy. of like a, a digital rights management where you'll yeah. be able to watch it. Um, and I'm super excited to, you know, to purchase it. I, I think that's a very novel and it's exciting use case. And, you know, it's a, it's perfect for um, what's capable with, uh, with crypto and especially what's capable with uh, secret NFTs, you know, and it's mm. just a, a huge advancement in market adoption to crypto in general. Um, but it's still the same type of storytelling, you know, what, what you've done since, I, you know, since I was a kid, Kevin makes a movie and sells yeah. it to his fans. I'm not sure if you if you remember, but in 2009, there was a Star Wars fan project called Star Wars Uncut. You, you might have seen it before. If not, I, I definitely would uh, recommend checking it out. Thousands of people collaborated to create 15 second clips, recreating uh, A New Hope. And one of my hopes is that uh, you would continue to innovate within the crypto space and find ways to create a new method of storytelling where you act as a coordinator to create to rally uh, thousands or tens of thousands of participants within Web3 to create a new type of story. You know, to be able to pull something like this off, it takes an amazing director, which you are, and, you know, humble and dance well, and, and an amazing coordinator. And, and I think that you have uniquely the, the community to be able to pull off a project like that. So I would highly recommend if you uh, are not familiar with it to, to look into it. And to just recognize that part of the, the value, and this goes back to TikTok, which you were talking about a few minutes ago, is that uh, I, I firmly believe that there will be a billion dollar um, box office movie that is created from TikTok with no uh, interaction through Hollywood, no front doors of those, you know, the, of the, the gatekeepers and the, and the current guards. And one of the things that uh, excites me most about crypto in general is that we get to break down those old guards. Mm. And so I, I challenge and hopefully, uh, you know, uh, in, inspire you to uh, think of that in your next project as to how can I do something different than what I've done before, which is Kevin makes a movie and then sells it to, to others. You're absolutely right. The, what we're doing with the sequel is kind of along that lines. And as much as it's going to be generated by the audience collaborative. So I'll create the framing device, but all the chapters are made by other people. Um, what you're sounding uh, talking about, though, sounds like way more ambitious, like with the, the whole world. Getting... Well, it takes baby steps, but absolutely. But yeah, so we're, we're already on to the first baby step in terms of the collaborative thing. But the movie by everybody is really capturing my imagination. I never heard of that. I'm going to look into it. Um, I don't know that I'm the guy that's I'm a little too self-involved. To like, you know, want to tell a story with a million people. But at the same time, the older I get, the less talented I find I am. So it would behoove me to hook up with, a you know, a, a million people to tell a story, if, particularly if that story was cool. Like already my head's turning where my the wheels are turning where I'm like, well, what could I do? And I was like, well, it could be about work because that's like my entire career is predicated on a movie about work, essentially. And that's something that we all share in common. And something that, like, we all have our phones, like, at work and stuff. So, I don't know. Maybe there is, like, this massive work, the movie, that's just put together by a bunch of people. If this happens, you get co-writing credit. 
<laughs> sure. Yeah. It's uh, I'll bring my VHS tapes and, uh, you know, we can uh, <laughs> yeah. hang out in New Jersey. Done and done. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Good. You know, good luck with, uh, with the debut. And, um, you know, I, I hope to, I would love to see you at the, at the, at, at your movie theater. All right. And we've got Dan Lynch and Yelena up next. So say hi, Dan. Hey, Kevin. How are hey, you? How are you? Doing great, man. Great to great to be here. Speaking of scripts in Hollywood, I just want to say it would have been cool if they uh, if you could have wrote the Superman uh, script without the studio notes. <laughs> so, you know what? Here's the thing. I did write it, but then I had to rewrite it with studio yeah. notes. <laughs> yeah. It would be what what I think would be cool for that to eventually happen is for a minute DC was making all these like animated films like. I was hoping maybe one day they'd be like, oh, let's take the script and make it a cartoon. Like that way, at least, you know, manufacture for use. It was finally seen or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Good times, man. So, yeah, I know, I know we've been talking a lot about like movies, uh, mm-hmm. but I thought I could bring it back a bit to like, you know, comics and paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got an actual real comic brick and mortar store uh, called Jay and Silent Bob's Secret Stash. Interestingly, yep. too, if you're working with the secret guys, you know, Tor's um, project is Stash. Yes. I thought that was pretty cool. And see, it is. It's very, it's very like Kennedy Lincoln crossover <laughs> thing. Yeah, it's like, did you guys plan this when you like created that store? <laughs> right. You like invented blockchain like years mm-hmm. before it ever. Yes, yeah. I'll take credit for that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think there's some people that like are you know really excited about digital and NFTs, and then some people are really excited about like you know physical paper comics. Like you own the paper, you know. But you're showing that it's like not one or the other. And, you know, it's like Marvel or DC or like NFTs or, or comics or paper. Like, why can't I like both? Yeah. Right. So I guess my question is like, you know, well, one, like what comic book are you reading now? And then like, how do you see the interplay between, you know, paper, comics uh, and NFTs? Like if you see some kind of new interplay between those happening. Uh, every I, I, we made a deal recently with Dark Horse uh, to do a line of uh, comics uh, under an imprint called Secret Stash Press. So we're moving into uh, publishing. I've been in and out of the comics field for since I did uh, the. I guess what did I do first? The Oni Double Feature, the Jane uh, Walt Jane Silent Bob and Walt Flanagan's Dog was half the debut issue of the Oni Double Feature, and then I went to work at. Marvel doing Daredevil, and then I did Green Arrow for DC, and then I did Batman for DC. I've done Hit Girl for uh, Image for Mark Miller, and I've, uh, you know, finally I felt like, all right, maybe I can do mine. Maybe it's time for me to do mine. So Secret Stash Press has two comics that come out. The first one in September is Masquerade. That is a vigilante book, my first, like, superhero character or whatever that I created with Andy McElfresh uh, and, and Captain Ribman is our artist. And then there's another line of books that we're doing uh, called Quick Stops, which is an anthology title, which is taking all the characters from the movies I've done and mashing them up, telling stories that I would never like take a whole movie to tell the story of and stuff. So uh, once I was, uh, you know, we, we wound up uh, being with Dark Horse, which I absolutely love. We talked to a bunch of other places before I found our home. Uh, every one of those places, you know, was all about the NFT 
conversation. They're like, you know about NFTs. And I was like, no, well, not really. I, I, we just said that we're going to sell our movie as one. I know a little bit, but you know, you know, it makes sense because it's a visual medium and, and whatnot. Uh, lots of art there, right there to begin with. Um, there are people doing exciting things with it. I know David uh, Shapiro, uh, my partner in, in Kilroy, Semcore Productions, him and Chris Jericho are putting together this NFT comic that like is pretty brilliant. Like it unlocks as you go along based on who joins and stuff like that. So he's been talking to me about doing that, about taking my comics into the space. Meanwhile, Dark Horse, of course, has started conversations about like, hey, we've got ideas for NFTs. So paper, the collectability of a comic book and the ownership of the comic book, for some reason, goes hand in glove um, Mm. with NFTs, it feels like. So I expect that uh, a lot of my comic stuff will wind up there uh, as well. And, And it could be like continued storytelling. The nice thing about an NFT over a comic book is you can bring it to life and you can animate it and stuff like that. So it looks even cooler. Um, I would definitely be 100% all for taking like, you know, for example, I've written the first uh, season or first year of Quick Stops, the comic book, taking every one of those, making an NFT that actually moves, comes to life, get my friends to do voices. So, you know, there's a Holden McNeil character in one of the books. I asked Ben to do a voice for it and stuff, you know, something you wouldn't necessarily put out there in fucking Target, Walmart or Netflix, but something that like as an NFT a hardcore fan might be like, I would totally fucking buy that. Like years ago, um, we did uh, for Daredevil, me and Joe Casada and Jimmy Palmiotti, they were the, the artist inkers. Uh, we did uh, this big fat edition trade paperback hardcover for graffiti designs where they put a CD-ROM into it. And we only, I don't know, they made like maybe 500, 1,000 of these in the world or something like that. But, you know, there were a bunch of people who bought it. They sold it out. They can't get them anymore and stuff. It's not a premium book. But it was something that they were like, this is one more way for me to interact with a story I love. And in on the CD-ROM, we did like a commentary track for the entire like run of the book. And we had panels that moved and animated and came to life and stuff. So I can definitely foresee doing more of that once Secret Stash Press is up and running. First thing I'm going to concentrate on is like launching a comic book company and getting our feet on the ground and stuff um, before I at the same time go like, and NFTs are happening. I'm going to walk into that or then cross the hall and be like, okay, now we can do this. I got to convince people that I'm real as a publisher before I convince them I'm a publisher who also wants to uh, sell them an NFT to have them collect my comic as an NFT too. But I, you better be sure I'll be getting there because that's what everyone in the medium talks about. Like exactly. even DC is in the NFT game at this point. Great. And I, I love the name. Last thing I was just curious, like does Wayne foundation accept crypto and as a corollary, maybe cosmos. And if not, like we, we can definitely help. Uh, what a beautiful gesture. Um, you would have to ask Jamie. I don't know if she operates the charity anymore at the Wayne Foundation. I was involved for many, many years. But I'm sure like crypto donations are as welcome as monetary donations. But yeah, that would be a question for Jamie Wall. Well, well thanks again, Kevin. And I uh, appreciate it. <laughs> Absolute pleasure talking to you. Yeah, Dan, absolutely love that suggestion around the foundation. I think that's that's a really smart, wonderful. Smart, man. That's real smart. Well, uh, you're up next, Hannah. Go for it. 
Thank you, Connor. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Uh, I'm well. I've been watching this whole time, and uh, so much of what you've been talking about re resonates with me on a very deep level. You know, this idea that uh, storytelling is for communities, you know, and it could be for a very small community. You know, we don't need to necessarily optimize for, you know, viewership or, you know, mass adoption or, or whatever it might be. And so really what, what you're describing um, as a vehicle or as like a method to get there and, you know, tell stories, uh, do storytelling in a way that's, you know, pure maybe with like pure principles at its heart. And so, you know, I, I was reflecting pure. on this. You, you said peer, correct? P -E pure. Like P, P, yeah, P-U-R-E. And so I was reflecting on this and I've actually been, I've talked a lot about this uh, with my husband. He's also a filmmaker. And, you know, we talk a lot about filmmaking. We talk a lot about the model. We talk a lot about what's happening. Um, you know, we, I mean, we go to the cinema all the time. We spend a lot of money, you know, watching movies, um, which, I, which is always, always worth it. But, you know, one thing that I'm kind of reflecting on as you were talking is, what you kind of are suggesting is very opposite in my mind, and I'm curious to hear this from you, to the Netflix model, right? So like Netflix is like very much a Web2 company, you know, you know, they, they came up during the internet, you know, boom or whatever. And now they're, they're obviously very huge and, and they're doing everything right from production to distribution to licensing. And, and I've just noticed a lot of the content that they produce. So, you know, not the stuff that they license and host on their platform, but the stuff that is like Netflix production you know, it's catering to the masses, right? It's catering to like a viewership, you know, there's all the like, you know, all of these stories that come out on, you know, the algorithm and how, you know, algorithms also play a role in the storytelling. And so I, I'll be honest, I, I critique this. And I think what you're suggesting is like the complete opposite. And we need that. And I, I really hope it'll, it'll like, you know, contribute to like some indie renaissance or something. Because I mean, again, like, you know, it's expensive. And, and, uh, you know, the, the business model has been inverted in a way where, yeah, indie filmmaking is, is, is hard to do. And so, okay. I, so my question, this is like the spiel, but now my question for you, there is an optics problem with crypto, um, for sure. And so, you know, this is my full-time job. I work in Cosmos. Um, I do, you know, uh, uh on the marketing side mm. and, we have to be honest, there's an optics problem. A lot of people think of it as a scam. And so my question to you is in the industry, everyone from your crew member, you know, PA to DP to creative to exec producer, you know, and everyone in the offices, everyone, how do we get them uh, understanding this isn't a scam? This is an alternative uh, business model that can contribute to an indie renaissance and we don't have to rely on the Netflix model because I think that's kind of what's happening and you know I see it for myself you know um, whenever he does Netflix productions it's like it's not you know oftentimes not unionized oftentimes you know it's challenging to be on set and so right. I, I do think we, we have to bring it in the industry you know in your industry like my husband's industry like convincing people that this isn't a scam this is worthwhile this is legitimate so I guess my question to you is like, how can you help uh, convince your folks? <laughs> to trust NFTs. I mean, yeah. honestly, it's it's the optics problem is uh, something that I deal with all the time. The moment I put up a tweet going, hey, like I put up a tweet yesterday going, hey, I'm doing this thing today at Cosmos. You know, a bunch of people were like, I can't believe you got pulled in by the NFT scam. I used to respect you. How could somebody so smart? Dot, dot, dot. Um, every once in a while, I'll pick one that's not egregious and be like, Look, I can't speak to other NFTs. I can speak to mine. Mine is a movie. You're buying a movie. Where's the scam? If that's a scam, then I've been scamming you since 1994 with home video. So I, I don't quite understand. Uh, I, 
I figure the best is just by doing it. Like the only way to have people see that it's not what they've heard it is or read two sentences of a paragraph in a news item to learn what it is themselves to show them what it can be. I mean, we talk about like I was around for the advent of the internet when people were just like, we're going to be rich off this thing. And then people didn't get rich off this thing and they fucked off and stuff. And the rest of the people who were around figured out how to use the technology like in fun ways. And also, I guess, to enrich themselves and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, for, for a bunch of cats to be right now in this moment, so fucking cocksure of what an NFT is and that it's a total scam and blah, blah, blah. It calls to mind when people were like, internet, internet. I hate the internet. It's so fucking stupid. I don't know anybody. Don't fuck, fuck with the internet anymore. You can't, you can't avoid it. It's a, it's a part of our lives. If you want to bank, if you want to watch something, if you want to call somebody, if you want to fucking FaceTime, like if you want to order something in the middle of the pandemic, it was the lifeline, the internet, for heaven's sakes. It seems like all technology, all new emerging technology, new media has to go through some weird trial by fire where people just poo poo it and doubt it. First, it's introduced as the next big thing. Then everybody um, wants it to be something it's not. And it's not that. And then they lose interest and start hating on it and blah, blah, blah. The best thing I could do is just doing what we're doing. Take the movie out there and showing them like, this is an NFT. Like, I don't care what you've heard. I don't care, like, uh, if you think it's a scam. It's a simple conveyance for me to get you this movie. This is how we're distributing the movie. And this is how it can be used in this one instance. So if an idiot like me can use it like this, think of how it could be used by smart people, for heaven's sake. Nobody can, you know, be it unless they see it. So I guess we just got to show them it. I guess that's the best course of action to turn the tide on what people think about it right now. But I mean, rather selfishly, again, I say this, as I said before, if they don't want to get it, that's great. Like I've been through all this before. So I know they'll just be here in five years, Yeah, you know, part of it because they, they won't be able to avoid it because it'll be a part of daily life, the blockchain. So at that point, like, say what you want, man. Like they go out there and crow and I'll just do my thing. And hopefully there's some people like, Oh, well that's, I didn't know that that's what an NFT was or could do. That's kind of cool. And slowly change their mind that way. Certainly not going to do it with campaigns with movie stars, making commercials. <laughs> I love that. We've, we've seen what happens there for heaven's sakes. That's true. I agree with you. I think it's inevitable. The tide has, you know, it, everything's in motion, right? Um, I guess like, for me, it's always about how do we like lessen the harm in this transition period of like the old way of doing things and the new way of doing things. Because, you know, you can argue that the Web2 kind of Netflix mass production model is also has benefits and has good qualities about it. But I just think that people are kind of waking up and getting kind of smarter and saying, you know what, I want quality. Like I want a good story that pulls me in. That's not just relying on like, you know, data of like, you know, when I stop watching it to like make the next, like, you know, cause they like, like they use data of like, Hey, like, you know, you're 30 minutes into it, into an episode. And then they're like, okay. So that part in the story maybe like doesn't resonate with this demographic, whatever, you know, just going back to basics, like, you know, what you guys have been talking about, you know, nineties, I don't know, VHS homemade, like, I love it. So making a thing because you want to make a thing this is the one thing i can i can i I will say i work for netflix when as much as we make masters of the universe there 
Um, but I've not made a movie there or anything like that. Netflix, of course, does make some big programmy shit like Red Notice or whatever the you know the the uh, Ryan Reynolds, the Rock uh, movie was. And when I say shit, I don't mean it's bad. I'm just I'm just mean making stuff. The thing that Netflix, though, whether they intended to or not, has done is introduced so many regional voices into the world of storytelling. So they don't ask somebody like me or one of the fucking 50 people who do the same shit over and over again to go make something in some foreign country or something like that. They turn to like a local filmmaker, storyteller, and give them money and say, tell a story in your world. And we've all become the better for it. We've become a more literate people because now in order to understand a story, you have to read most of the shit that you like on Netflix. Like we all loved Squid Game. How many of us watched it without subtitles on? That just makes you a little bit smarter, kids, like having to read and stuff. And you don't get to a Squid Game, which turned out to be this massive entertainment and stuff that generated a lot of uh, revenue in their equation for them. But, you know, it comes from a very small source, a place that, like, if there was no Netflix, we probably never would have heard about this movie. Culturally speaking, Netflix has changed the storytelling game, at least in my world, where America used to be the dominant storyteller. It's where everything came from. The one export we still were fantastic at was entertainment. But now, thanks to Netflix, like... I'm seeing shows that I never would have seen in a million years, never would have been made in the first place by insanely talented people that like now have a chance because of them. So with all, you know, with, with all the bad, there's always good and stuff like that. What we have in the blockchain is just an ability to step away and do our own thing. You know, they continue to do their thing and it dominates, but don't mean we can't go over here and try our thing. And our thing ain't nothing new kids. At the end of the day, since uh, like in the way of film, I can only speak to film all the time because that's where I'm from. But there have been people forever picking up a camera and just doing it without permission. Is Extend it beyond the camera, extend it to anything in life. You don't necessarily have to wait for permission to enact a good idea. You have to wait for permission in many things in life, but not to take a good idea and take it into the into the real world, man. Just because they're doing something different over there and that's the way it's always been done doesn't mean that you can't do it the other way or this new way that maybe nobody else has thought of. But I just want to say it's easy, easy to be uh, cynical. It's, it's hard to feel inspired and motivated. And you just, you know, I think that's what you're doing. Like definitely from, from my perspective, I really, your words are incredibly inspiring and there, there's goodness and good ways of getting to where we want to go. So thank you. And uh, that, that's my God, that's means the world. Thank you for that. Like it, at the beginning of my career, that was not something that I was thinking about. Like maybe somebody will say something really kind to me like that one day. I just wanted to make a thing. I just wanted to self-express. But the beauty of doing what I've done for like the last three decades, good or bad, whether everybody loves a movie or everybody hates the movie, and that's never the case. It's never everybody and everybody. It's always a mix. Like having people say like, you know, you're inspiring or like your passion enthuses me, like, I didn't think about that in the beginning of my career, yet that is the currency that spends the most in my world now. Like more so than somebody being like, here's a check for making a thing. Having somebody be like, you make me want to keep going. You make me go like, yeah, fuck yeah. I know how important that is. Like when I was trying to make my journey or trying to make my move, 
I needed to hear from as many different voices as possible, voices that I trusted or at least said like, well, they went first. If I don't know them, at least they've got the experience saying that it was possible. I mean, this is like, this is so funny. And I remember telling them years ago, but like I was getting ready to make Clerks and it's a movie set in a convenience store. And I read this article. It was an interview with Quentin Tarantino in the New York Times, New York Times magazine section. And I think it was like, you know, he was getting ready to go make Pulp Fiction or something like that. Because this is definitely a post-Reservoir Dogs piece. But in it, he talks about, like, making a movie. And he's going, why, you know, for his first movie, would you ever, like, you know, do something thrilling? Do something like they would do in a movie. You can't just, like, shoot a day in life at your job. And that was literally the script that I was writing. And I remember reading that and being like, the filmmaker who I love the most in this world, like, don't know me. And doesn't know what I'm working on, but essentially just said that I shouldn't be doing this, that it's not a great idea. So even sometimes you may hear it from people you look up to, man, where it's just like, oh, I don't do that or whatnot. I remember for years, people would ask me about short films. I was like, I don't know. If you make a short film, it just proves that you can make a short film. Always try to make a feature. Now I tell people, like, make a short film. It'll lead to a feature if it's meant to, but make the short film because you'll wait too long to make the feature and you won't seize that moment. So having somebody say what you said to me, long story short, means the world. Thank you for that. My pleasure. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you so much, Yelena. Yeah, Kevin, you know, I wanted to add to that, which is this idea that, and it's crazy to me how humble you are given how big you've made it. Um, Do you know how, you know how that happened? It's very easy, very simple equation. You just have to uh, come of age on the internet. You know, I was a grown-ass man when I made Clerks. I was, what, 22 or whatever? But, you know, the internet, the advent of the internet was right around the same time. So by the time I finished Mallrats, like, the internet was starting to come into homes, move beyond college campuses and stuff. And the internet has kept me very grounded because there's not a single day in my life. There's many people who tell me how special I am, just like my mother did when I was a kid. It's really beautiful. Uh, but there are enough people that tell me what a piece of shit idiot I am who doesn't deserve the breaks he got and I fucking suck that it it keeps you balanced. Like, you know, I've never been like, my shit don't stink. Uh, they tell me daily. my sh Somebody will be willing to always tell me my shit stinks. And to be fair, that's kept me kind of grounded. Like, so I, you know, as much as like people are like, oh, all the negativity on the internet, something good from came out of it for me. Like, you know, it's, it's made me tolerable, my wife says. That's incredibly important, just to be a decent human being as you're climbing up the social hierarchy. Or, or, as, you're, or as you're on your, on your way down, like me, as I've been on my way down for the last almost 30 years. I was on my way up with Clarks, and the, the rest of it has been a very slow descent. <laughs> yeah, that is until Killory NFTs prove this I, uh, around. IMO model. Yeah, it does. That's the thing. That's, like, I, that's the thing. We... I, we haven't even really in my, when I say we, I mean the folks in my world haven't really even been thinking about the, the business aspect of it. Like there's a chance that they all sell and like, you know, we look super smart. That'd be cool. All I keep thinking about is just like, wow, we're doing it. We, we're doing the thing that we had a conversation about over a year ago. And we, we still, even though it took that long, we still get to be like the first, but I forget there's a whole other aspect to it of like, Oh, this could actually move very well. Like, yeah, I, it's weird the things you think about. That's what I kind of dig about where I am right now 
if I, you know, and we're, we're going to release Clerks 3 in a couple months, you better be damn skippy. I'll be thinking about what it's going to make based on what it cost us. And, and I'm involved with a studio and they care about that sort of thing and whatnot. But the luxury of up until just a second ago, not really thinking about like what financially would happen with the movie has been worth the journey alone. All I've thought about is the movie itself and how it will be received in the medium and, you know, here on the blockchain and being first, I'll be, you know, I, I do kind of dig the bragging rights of being first. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, me being in the blockchain space for as long as I have, I've seen us having so much trouble breaking through to the mainstream for just years until NFTs yeah. came along. Uh, and then all of a sudden it became this interesting thing that the mainstream could grab onto. And so, you know, creatives like yourself and, you know, any undiscovered indie filmmaker needs to come in, see this technology for what it could potentially be, and then really, you know, take it and do something with it. And that's what's exciting. And I, I think that's you're in a position to really pioneer this right now and socially show everybody else that, hey, monkey see, monkey do. If I could see, if I could succeed at this, you can too. And that gives hope to a lot of the smaller content creators. You know, and it sort of breaks open the model the same way as YouTube kind of broke it open and de democratized content creation to just like the everyday Joe with a camera that can, you know, stream to the internet you could do this with filmmaking now, right? It's not just that you need to be discovered by Hollywood. You need to move to LA, get some plastic surgery, look really good. It's not about that anymore. Anybody with a creative bone in their brain can do that. Absolutely agree. But to be fair, it wasn't always about that. There's always going to be a version of that, you know, entertainment business that's all about the fucking glam and the money and the fucking, this is official. And it came through a studio and stuff. But, you know, even before me, I was inspired by Richard Linklater. You know, he picked up a camera and made Slacker around Austin, Texas. He was inspired by, what's his name? John Cassavetes, who was an actor of note, who was like, hey, why am I just acting? I can make this shit, too, and made a series of movies off by himself. So there have always been people who are like, I'm so interested in the thing. You know, in this case, we keep talking about movies because that's the business I come from that I can gravitate toward that thing, you know, like doesn't mean that I, you know, I'm not there now, but it doesn't mean that I can't get into that thing. Maybe do that thing myself. Cause what are we talking about here? It's not like we're talking about curing a major disease where you need a real fucking brain to do that. These are stories. Stories are fucking as valuable as they are to the person who's hearing them. Right? So everybody's got them. Everybody's got millions of them and stuff. Why not everybody getting a chance to tell that more voices out there, the more interesting it gets. Like, look, I come from a time where there were like 50 people making movies right in the nineties. Now it's a bunch of people and it ain't just movies anymore. It's like fucking way more interesting shit going on on TikTok, Like we talked about and way more interesting shit going on in the blockchain. So, you know, I, it's the de democratization of art or self, let's just call it self-expression. Art scares some people like I ain't no artist. Great. You're a self-expressor. The democratization of that has been something that like I benefited from back in the 90s and people have been benefiting from as long as there's been a mainstream. There's always been a few people outside of it going, hey, look at this. Uh, we can do it, too. And why not? You know, it's not again, it's not like um, these are life saving techniques or, or uh, disease curing fucking uh, 
formulas that we're talking about. You know, it's like filling somebody's time, killing somebody's time a little bit so they forget for a few minutes that moment that one day this is all going to end and they're going to die. You know, we're in this distraction business to some degree in entertainment. Uh, but I like to think of it as the self-expression business. We've got a question from the audience. Total Chad asks, how about movies with a soft plot line, like a story about a fireworks stand? Do you, stories like that still have an audience? Yeah. Fucking Total Chad. Absolutely, man. I got to believe that because I'm writing a movie right now. Nothing happens in it. Like, it, it is the least plot-driven thing I've ever written since maybe the first thing I ever wrote. Clerks has no plot. It's just a bunch of shit that happens at work that day. So I'm writing a thing right now where I'm like, you know, every once in a while I check myself, probably like Chad, because I'm scared. I'm like, can you do this? And then I'm like, yeah, you do whatever fuck you want. Maybe the whole world don't love it, but like, don't mean you can't do it and shit. So the movie I'm writing, while it's not like just about fireworks stand or something like that, is very simple with no like real hardcore three act structure. It's just a day in the life sort of thing. So yes, total Chad, you absolutely can still do that now. What level of success you're uh, hoping for or reception that you're expecting, that's a completely different conversation. The thing can be made, but the other part of the equation that nobody talks about when they make the thing, and I don't care what the thing is, whether it be a movie or, or uh, you know, um, a service that allows an NFT to uh, show you your credit rating or something like that. Oh, fuck, I forgot where I was going with it. I was so busy doing my preamble. Maybe that you have to experience uh, the feedback of the people watching and you may not even get that feedback depending on the size of the creator. I love that. I'll take that. This is exactly what I was thinking, Connor. Yeah, I got you, Kevin. Don't worry. <laughs> Good thing we're, that we're, we're here. Here. when I fall into these potholes, you're like, that's where he was going with it. All right. We've got two more people on the stream. They're going to ask their final questions before we wrap up a three-hour-long interview. Kevin, you you are just... A That's marathon running. I appreciate everybody who's tolerated listening to me this long. Uh, I, I, I'm flattered to say the least. No, you have uh, no idea. Like everyone in the blockchain space is so excited to have you. You know, it is. It is. You're gonna make me fucking cry, man. No bullshit. You're gonna make me cry because this. When I'm in this space, it's all love. The moment I'm outside this space and I mention <laughs> this space, oh my god, the fucking the the hatred that gets thrown my way. So hearing that, like, hey, man, and, and like, I don't need to know numbers. So if you're like everyone in this space, all three of us, I, I don't care. It's just nice being in a space where you're embraced as opposed to a space where any time I fucking say three letters, I got to deal with everybody and their mother's fucking opinion on something that they're not even really all that interested in the first place. So it's wonderful to hear that, like, I'm in a place where people are like, you're welcome here. I mean, and Kevin, you brought it up a couple of times, right? Which is that every time there's this emerging technology wave. Uh, the people who push back against it are the ones who don't get it or have yeah. a bad initial experience. And as it iterates, they they usually miss out on the gains, like you, the it or not that you mentioned earlier. Yes. Um, I mean, like if you if you were someone in 2000 uh, when all the web companies were falling apart, who gave up, like you missed out on this incredible growth curve. Uh, yeah. And I think this is a a really good parallel here to what's happening in crypto and blockchain today, where some initial use cases have happened. There's some regulation needed. Some will think so other people will say, oh, you like we need to to build differently. Um, but there are clear signals of this like massive uh, fit for the technology that's starting to happen. And I think you're at a, a perfect time to just jump in and say, OK, we've done some iteration. We've made some changes. How can we take this and do something like what Tom talked about earlier from Loop uh, with reward NFTs? 
and say, how can I reward my my um, the folks who are watching the, these films? Or how can I create exclusive collections where creators now not only benefit from the initial sale, but get a percentage of the sales moving forward, which is a, a huge benefit over, uh, to just give an example of the art world, where I you mean, sell I, a piece, right? Absolutely. So much think, about, think about like comic book collecting. So like, you know, game I've been in for a while, I own a comic book store, full disclosure and stuff, but you got a book that you bought for like, you know, fucking two bucks, 10 years ago or whatever fuck. And suddenly they're making a TV show at a fucking book over at Disney plus. So guess what? It's a hot book. And suddenly that book goes up in incredible value. So like you put it up on a wall in a comic book store in our case or something like that. And then a book that you sold, you bought for $2 years ago, suddenly is worth a thousand dollars. And that's great for the person that owns the book, but you always think about like, what about the artists? What about all the people that were involved in that book? Like, Shouldn't they get a fucking taste of it? Like without them, it don't exist. I work in a business where like, you know, they, they made shit so official that like, you know, you get a taste all the way down to like pennies down the road. You get residuals on a movie or something like that. They'll send you a check for 12 cents, but just to be like, Hey man, you had a piece of it. And I don't give a shit if it's a 12 cent check it makes you go like, right on. I was a part of something. And they acknowledge that and they recognize that the idea of the NFT marketplace being able to like, sell something that the original creator can also participate in, you know, is, is kind of thrilling. That's why you see a lot of like comic book artists into the space and uh, into the idea of taking their work into the NFT space. Yeah. Everyone that you meet in the space right now, given that we're in a bear market is going to be someone who's a true believer in this space. Either they're here to, because of the movement or they're just in it for the technology. So everybody you meet right now at this perfect quiet time in cryptocurrency is a true believer. Yeah, definitely are bought into the potential of the technology. I love that. I thrive on that. And some people be like, oh, why do you want less people? Don't you want more? No, fucking no. Especially if the more people means a bunch of people going like, this sucks and you're wrong. Like, give me true believers, man. Give me three true believers over a hundred fucking people. Yeah. um, And, you know, in a a few more months, the tourists are really going to be washed out just because we've gone through multiple cycles now and we're at the beginning of a bear cycle. So guys, brace yourselves because it's going to get even rockier and even tougher. The NFTs, like punks and um, board apes, you know, that became so big last year in the bull market. They were built in the bear markets of 2018, 2019. And And so you want to talk about monkey see, monkey do literally in that case. Like uh, the board, uh, the board apes allowed me to like take Kilroy and be like, Ooh, what if everybody owns it? Like the board apes and then they can make shit and then we can go forward and make the sequel. So even somebody else's like idea, like, you know, we didn't, it, it inspired me where I was like, Oh shit, we could take it and do this, go one step weirder or further with it and stuff. So that's a real case of monkey see monkey do. Yeah, definitely. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because you, you did allude to it when we were vlogging. But yeah, the bored ape thing that inspired you to do this Kilroy um, concept. The the idea, not so much the Kilroy concept, but the idea of like the ownership of your bored ape. How is like everybody's generative bored ape is theirs and they could do anything they want with it. I thought that was great. First time I heard that, I was like, what? So wait, they, I get that they own the NFT, but they certainly don't own the, you know, the board ape. And they're like, no, they do. That's the point. It's unique and it's fucking theirs. And if they want to go put it on a lunchbox, they could do it. If they want to put it in a movie or a TV show, 
they could do it. And I'm like, that's fucking fascinating. The idea of, of like not owning a thing. And then suddenly, since we were already working on Kilroy with secret, I asked them, I was like, wait, we got generative pieces of art for all these, like, you know, different covers for DVD, so to speak. I was like, can this be like board ape where everybody owns their own Kilroy? And like the Reezy Witherspoon does those lady NFTs, everybody owns those and they can make whatever they want with it and shit. And they were like, well, it's your movie, so your decision. And, you know, I since I didn't create Kilroy, so to speak, it was an idea that long existed that I just repurposed for my little horror anthology. I felt no sense of like, it wasn't like Jay and Silent Bob where I'm like, I own that. That's my good idea. I was just like, oh my God, like let's let everybody own their own piece of generative art that they can do whatever the fuck they want with it. Same way that the board ape cats do, man. And then from that came the idea of like, cause somebody with David was like, well, what if they make a thing? And I was like, well, that would be amazing because then that could be the sequel. The sequel could be a bunch of people who have their own version of Kilroy making their own version of a Kilroy thing. And then all I have to do is put a framing device around it. And we got a whole other whole ass other movie. So, you know, the trickle down from the simple concept of somebody explaining to me, like, no, they own that particular board ape. They can do anything they want with it. Allowed us to take our idea even further than, than as was said earlier, like just a, a movie on NFT. Suddenly it could become a never ending movie on NFT, a movie where like the people that bought it make the sequel with me. Yeah, there's this sort of Coco Chanel effect in that, you know, when I studied what she did with getting Chanel uh, brand out there was she just let anyone copy it, you know? So if you built in- Is that true? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because when, when she had her Chanel products, people started making fakes of it, obviously. Uh, and instead of trying to stamp down on it and do some DRM shit, for example- she just let them copy it. And it, in fact, proliferated her brand even further. And so wow. the, yeah. So, so it sounds that's, like you have that's, something. It's interesting. I've never, A, I've never heard that concept before. Uh, B, I didn't know that bit of history, but I've also kind of been that way. And it's easy to be this way when you don't own the stuff. Like when I make a thing, I make it for somebody else, you know, I create it, but they own it. Right. So, you know, ever since the advent of the internet, people have been able to pirate things. And for years, you know, people were like, how do you feel about that? And I got to be honest with you. It's like, I don't give a shit how they see it. If they see it because they watch it on like Pirate Bay or whatever, you know, like I, God bless. Like, I'm just happy they see it because maybe in that moment they didn't pay for that thing. But maybe they like that thing enough that next time down the road, they will pay for a fucking thing. There's no use stamping it out. Like for me, it was just free promotion for a bunch of people who wouldn't engage with my work otherwise. So I know she's gone and she can't hear it, but Coco Chanel, very smart. That's a good idea. Yeah. It, so with the NFT technology where you're able to track provenance uh, and share royalties basically automatically, that's what you're going to be able to do. So anybody who copies your IP is now no longer a pirater, but they are a sort of promoter in your growing network. Yeah. Absolutely. And I could get a kickback, a taste, if you will. Yeah, exactly. As they say. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. Total Chad says we're all the, we're all the architects. Yeah. The fan base. Total Chad makes me chuckle because, uh, you know, I made a masters of the universe show for Netflix and, uh, some people 
weren't into it. They were very vocal about it. A lot of people loved it. And so much so we got another season and stuff. But there were some people, very vocal people about like, this ain't my fucking Masters of the Universe. Uh, there's another Masters of the Universe show, a th- the kind of CG version of it. That's also on Netflix. Absolutely wonderful. Our sister show. So there are two Skeletors, you know, in current Masters of the Universe storytelling, both on Netflix. Somebody put up like a fucking meme on t- that wound up in my Twitter feed that pictured our Skeletor and the Skeletor from the CG show. And the ours, I forget the name that means weak. I don't think it was Cuck, but it was kind of like Cuck Skeletor chad skeletor and for the last like 48 hours i've just been obsessed with the idea that like we have mark hamill how are we not the chad skeletor but we're not according to this rando on the internet random stranger who came up with a meme we've got the cuck skeletor <laughs> i don't care yeah, as long as they, the, watch uh, it. they can call him cuck skeletor as long as, all they want as long as they watch it yeah there's a uh there's a simp cuck chad hierarchy over there what is it so what is it that the simp Simp. that's cucks and then chad that's the hierarchy he was called i think it was simp skeletor i think they were saying he was kind of simp okay oh wow you're not even a cuck huh no he didn't (laughs) learn cuck no not enough respect to get him to cuck fuck now that i think about it we got simp skeletor (laughs) (laughs) okay total asks the idea behind cobra kai was a fan fiction story now it's canon in the Karate Kid universe. So sweet. So I guess that was a comment. It's so true. He's absolutely fucking right. Think about it. There's a bunch of people who are like, oh my God, could you imagine if? And now it's fucking part of the ongoing story. Passion will take you a lot of places. Very surprising places, kids. Called you. He called us a boomer. <laughs> boomer. No, yes, I know. I, I knew that was coming. <laughs> Believe me. I, I was like... I had an older reference and I was like, work harder. And I was like, pirate bay. And I even knew that was old and shit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, motivating Gene has been here for a while. He He's also um, launched an NFT project on uh, Terra. He's, he's now moving on to osmosis and yeah, he's got some questions for you. Yo, Kevin, what to do, man. How um, are you, MJ? Good, good, good. It's really fun to, to listen to you speak you're such a creative and, and you're so, um, you know, so awesome. And you're making me think as well, because I mean, we're now talking into the, the crypto space. And one of the things I want to say, so, so, okay. So back in the day, NFTs, NFT started as, as a brand, right? Like, like mm-hmm. talking about the board, a yacht club, and then it became like a swag. It's kind of like, okay, like shoes, like Nike shoes. Like, okay, this is a brand. This is what I'm wrapping. Right. That's what, that's what you're flexing. And then when, demand meets supply then creators are asked for more like what else can you give me you know as, a, as an investor blah 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 and so they started making games um play to earn uh, custom nfts and and so yours is a little bit different and and number one i think you're pioneering and and doing some groundbreaking stuff here for the for the film industry right by you becoming one of the first ones then it's like jumping off of a big building, then someone else can follow. Because you've done it, you, you've paved the way. And Thanks. I think this is huge. Although we are in what, what we call a bear market, and, and it's like not a lot of production, I guess, or not a lot of like people waiting at the door. Should, should you have launched this October of last year? Oh my goodness gracious. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but what a but, different world! What a different world it would have been. Absolutely, I bet you if we launched it last year this time, there would be a preconceived notion for sure that we were going to sell out completely. Whereas I 100%. sit here today wondering, I wonder if we'll sell out. I wonder how many we will sell. One of the things that we've done pretty well, I'm with Hero NFT, and it's that we've built community. So all we did, it's, you know, we launched a cool PFP, but then you get to know the people behind the projects and and you realize that, okay, this is a community. And so, I mean, you already know that, but by, by launching your NFTs, you have a community behind you and, and whatever you feed or you give back to that community, they're, they're going to rep with you really hard. You know, they, they, if they already support you and they purchase something from you, and especially if they already know you from like outside tech world, they're, they're going to be with you till the end of time. You'd be surprised on how loyal the community here can be. Um, now I have one question. So for, for projects like mine, so I have an NFT project and I obviously want to give more to my community. You are essentially, so you created the film and it's, Get, correct me if I'm wrong. The film is only available for people that purchase your NFTs, Kilroy NFTs, right? Yeah, the NFT Kilroy will only be available on the NFT initially. Okay. Um, okay. Well, another quick question: What's the time length of that um, movie? Uh, the movie runs seventy-five minutes, I think. Wow. Okay. Have you thought of all the people like me who have a project and want to do more, like? create animation behind their, their their NFTs and how much of an opportunity you can be for them as well. Because you have a you have a client right here that would like to do more with their brand. I just don't know the people nor you know the filmmaking or or you know but we have we have the resources that we we can make a banger it animate from our collection and I I would love for you know for for that interaction to happen and work together. So would that is that something that you'd be open to to doing? Absolutely, yeah, a collab of some sort. Yeah, yeah, and and actually bring so this uh, so this is a uh, uh, so we have these uh, these robots and we have a lore and we we created comics. Can you believe that? Never in the history of of the world would would I think that we created comics. Right. But as, that's what I'm saying. This is what the space brings us, and and, and just like just like you are bringing like a, a whole movie to the nft holders yeah like now now my my thinking goes okay what if kilroy meets like a hero that's that's a brand hero NFT, and and they literally go on and and yeah can we create something animated where our team reaches out to your team and 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 we create some new you know that we can give some excitement to the community always 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 wanted to create some sort of animation it's just you never know when and right now i think i have the perfect person in front of me <laughs> I'm very down. Uh, the person you want to reach out to is the person I work with in the space is David Shapiro, Semcore Productions, man. He would love, he's all about collabs and stuff like that. So I know um, I'm happy to like take Kilroy into your space, vice versa. Again, as I said earlier, there's no sense of priority or ownership on the character. It feels very communal and as that grows, you know, maybe it wasn't the intent in the beginning, but as we've seen now, that is kind of what its life is going to be going forward. I could totally see 
yeah, bringing my yeah. character into your things. And if that brings you some attention, great. But it allows me to extend the character into one more place. So it's good. Yes, for exactly. I'm in exactly. So, so, so for example, so our community, I, I mean, like solid people, uh, I would say there's like solid, like 10,000 users. And then there's like the, the core, like thousand users, you know, but when you bring like a piece of you into an established collection, you get the whole thing. You know what I'm saying? You, you support them. I wanted to ask um, one more thing. Did you know you're kind of in the metaverse right now? In what way? I've seen various incarnations of Jay and Silent Bob, um, including a few ape versions and stuff. And so, so I, w- I would say number one, you're you're playing the role of of giving users through you know blockchain um, something fun to watch. Uh, I love film. I was watching Elvis Presley last night. Great uh, movie. Great movie. Awesome. That's what I thought too. Totally watchable. Like so fun. Big, larger than life. Expensive as fuck. Right. This big old fairy tale. Well done. Yeah, love it. And I was wondering, you know, I said, right now, who are we right now? We are in a live call speaking to Kevin Smith about, you know, his life, his NFTs, you know, this new thing that you're doing with blockchain. And I'm telling you, you're definitely breaking ground here. You'll see all of the people that pretty much like, Pay, copy and paste what you just did in the next year, in the next months, and in the next couple of years. Like, Other people will copy and paste and improve upon it. Yeah. And and at the same time, I'm like, I'm reading about your project. You know, I'm on Medium and I'm on the website, you know, just trying to get more info. But I'm also placing some trades, Kevin. I'm like trading at the same time. And I'm Are like, you? Look at you multitasking. I'm afraid <laughs> to answer my text. <laughs> and, 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 and that's what I'm saying. We're like, we live in the metaverse and this is, this is what we do, you know? So, I mean, what, there is no limitations, you know, um, the sky is the limit and no. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for, for bringing, you know, new stars into, into the universe because that's, you know, what shines. And, and when we see something shine, we're, we're gravitated towards it, you know? So even, even for me as a creator and like, you know, like I would just say like a just normal dude that loves like blockchain and, I'm inspired, you know, because I see you doing something that, okay, essentially I would love to do and you made it happen, you know? So, uh, yeah, thank you for, for coming into the space and inspiring us. And, you know, hopefully we can also do the same for you. I do need some whitelists for my community. It's a hero NFT. So if you can give us some whitelists, we appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. Somebody smarter than me could probably, uh, WLU. Uh, I, I know there was uh, a few going around. So, um, well, somebody- we do have a giveaway That's uh-huh. going on right now. There's a giveaway. Give us a uh, Kevin away. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh-huh. only one of those. Kevin, you, you, so are you based out of, um, um, Los Angeles? Yeah, I'm in Los Angeles. So I have a, a, a here, and here's the story, right? Here's the story of, of, of NFTs. Um, I can actually connect you with this guy. His name is, he's known by, uh, K money. Mm-hmm. So he just like just makes uh, comedy about crypto and literally like talk about he's he's nobody in the space. He starts, you know, creating videos. His account blows up to like 10K over like two weeks, which is it, it, to get to 10K on, on, on like crypto Twitter in two weeks is, is really fast. Yeah. Um, right now he's at he's at he's at 100K. But his name is Kevin, too. His name is uh, he goes by K Money. If you guys. Yeah, and, and he's a comedian. He's out, out of L.A. 
And and it's crazy how much uh, this space was, you know, been able to give to him. Um, I'd love to connect you with them so you guys can do like like a film. Uh, it's in his comedy. You and him would so get along, and I think it would be you know good for the press. I'm gonna look it up as soon as we're done. K Money because in uh, Clerks Three, which is the movie we got coming out in September, there's an entire crypto storyline. One of the characters is named Blockchain Coltrane. So. Is a very long is a, a storyline that runs through the whole movie. And when I was writing it, I was kind of excited because I was like, I think I'm going to be the first person to make like crypto and NFT jokes in a in a mainstream movie. Like I kept looking for it, and my daughter's uh, boyfriend Austin, he's very big in the space. He loves crypto and NFTs. He was just like, dude, I watch movies all the time. He's going, the shit that you're writing right now, nobody's said it yet. And I'm like, oh my god, could you imagine if we get to be first? So so far, it looks like. We'll, I mean, I can't, I can't say we'll beat some TV shows because they're on a more regular basis, but I think we got to say some stuff about crypto and NFTs before anybody else, and it's a plot line in the movie. Hi, Kevin. I am a huge fan, and, um, you know, we have a, um, a small production company in Los Angeles and mostly focused on documentaries and, you know, doing films that have kind of a, you know, a, a larger message and they are very difficult to find these days. Um, and so, you know, the NFT community really um, offers the, this ability, like like you were saying about about re reaching your audience in a way that, that you don't have to find millions of people. You could just find a small pocket of community. And you know, the back door that, that you were talking about uh, uh, launching your first film on credit cards, we're doing that through high value and NFT. So 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 we just actually partnered with Secret also to do our first drop of a fine artist and working with, with fine artists. And um, the whitelist is actually open now. It's called timetravelernft.com uh, is, you know, is where you could sign up for the whitelist. But, um, you know, what advice do you have for, you know, smaller uh, filmmakers to get into the space to be able to just have a, an, a find like a niche audience like this who don't go in, on stage and perform, you know, like yeah, truly. Truly, I, this is the thing I always ask, or I always answer any creative who asks the, a similar uh, type of question. Your voice is your currency in this life. Your particular perspective of the world, the prism through which you perceive and, and interpret everything, is so incredibly fucking unique that it is invaluable. You know, I know people throw away the term, throw around the term snowflake a lot lately in a negative way. But fucking like your voice is a goddamn snowflake. It's a fucking fingerprint. It could sound similar to things other people have said. And you can also have similar ideas in mind. But you will always be distinctly you and always have a very singular voice. If your voice is your currency, spend it. Spend it as often as you can in life. Tell your story, the thing you find interesting. Like this is, the, you know, some people always try to go like, well, it's popular. I, I guess success could come that way. Yes, there have been many knockoffs of things. You know, somebody does a thing and somebody does a similar thing. But I feel like, like at the end of the day, like what stands out always is originality. I, one of the greatest documentaries I've watched in the last five years was a documentary I never imagined I would watch. And it was short. It wasn't even very long. And it was about cubers, people who speed cube 
fucking this whole world. They took me into it. Course of 50 minutes, and I fucking absolutely loved it. You know, that's not somebody sitting around going, you know, how I'm gonna get rich making that documentary, making that fucking thing. Your voice is your currency, man. So you spend your voice. If you think it's a story worth telling, fucking tell it. All one has to do is modify their expectations. Like if you're going to tell a story or a documentary or fiction narrative about subject matter that you don't know the whole world will be into then just don't fucking spend the whole world on it. Just act accordingly, man. But by hook or by crook, put it out there because your voice is unique. Nobody could do that fucking story and nobody will, but you, especially the way you'll do it. So that is worth fighting for. That's worth getting that fucking voice and spending that currency to make sure that you tell a story. You've spent so much of your life being told stories, and I love it too. I love being entertained. When I'm done with this, after I go to the doctors, I'll probably watch Ms. Marvel and shit. I love being entertained as much as the next person. But I love telling stories too. And so many people are content to be in the audience when they've got cool ideas mm. and they could and should be sharing them. Share that voice. So many people are hesitant to do that in this life. And my heart breaks for them, but I also see it as an opportunity for myself. If everybody's telling their fucking stories, nobody's in the audience. So as long as there are people who are like, ah, I don't think I should tell mine. I'm not good enough to tell mine. That means I'm always going to have people to at least tell my stories too. You, <laughs> like me, are one of those people who's like, I think I got something. You do have something. Definitely spend that currency, your voice is the only thing that stands between you and every other fucking person who wants to do what you do. And there are lots of us, and I'm fucking one of them. We're all in competition. But what's going to set you above is what you have to say. Your voice is your currency. Spend it as often as you can in life because it never runs out. It constantly replicates. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's one of them Harry Potter banks, kids, or Scrooge McDuck, filled yes. forever and shit. <laughs> thank you thank you you're more than welcome what i have as a career now all started as somebody going like what if i did a thing and that's what we have here is a whole community of people going what if i did a thing i recognize game recognizes game to borrow a phrase that probably also identifies me as a boomer or not uh I, i'm not technically a boomer kids those are my parents Gen I'm X. Gen X. Yeah, we just don't give a fuck about anything. We just want to watch the world burn. At least that's what they told me. But yeah, it's the, the sense of community here, man, is has been absolutely wonderful. Everyone's been so sweet today, and the feedback's been really great. The questions have been great. The people have been fucking cool, and I recognize them. I see myself in them and vice versa. Dreamers, man. Dreamers and doers. Yeah, again, you're a big fish in a small pond, so everybody was extremely excited to have you and actually be able to talk to you directly, which is you know not something that a lot of people who are just observing the crypto space have that access to. So just you know, small plug here. You know, if you want to participate in future events like these, mint your IFM Pope uh, on Secret Network. Uh, mm -hmm. So thank you for welcoming me into the space for having me here and thank you if you're one of those people that's like I'm, i got got killer i'm getting killer that means the world even if you're some person who just sat through all this and you're like still not convinced i appreciate your time 
Thanks for tuning in to Interchain FM. As always, I will read through the pages of white papers and condense only the alpha for you in a one hour long digest. Be sure to subscribe to Chango and Chain's YouTube channel to be up to date about the latest technology and never miss a live streamed episode.